Hello and welcome to episode 5 of the Film 89 podcast. My name is Sky and I'm the editor of Film89.co.uk and for this episode I am being rejoined by Mr. Richard Roberts. Hello, good evening. Richie, it's your first time back on the podcast since uh, well, since our debut episode really. I think you were, you were unavailable for episode 4 so Mr. Jim Carpel had to stand in the last minute. Um, did he live up to your very low expectations? <laughs> he more than exceeded my expectations. Unfortunately, my flight back from Paris was delayed and uh, Jim was able to step in and, and he did swimmingly. But I've got to say, for anyone who did read Rich's piece in the Times on his uh, little trip to the Louvre, what an absolutely fantastic and enlightening piece on uh, one of my favourite topics. <laughs> and coming back to Film 89 is everyone's favourite co-host, Mr Neil Gaskin. Hello, podcasts. Good to be back. So, guys... Um, what have you been up to? Uh, sorry, anything interesting film-related? Well, I think you know we really should talk about uh, a certain award ceremony that took place a couple oh, of weeks ago. The obviously, yeah. Now I've got to say, guys, uh, listeners, I'm really sorry. We've been a month now without an episode uh, due to is it Storm Emma, the, the snowstorm that hit us about two weeks yeah, ago. Yeah. We, we had some pretty dreadful weather, and episode five was going to be completely different to what it was. It was going to be, um, I was going to be joined by Steve Amos, and we were going to do something a little bit different for the podcast, unfortunately, because of the, the terrible weather, that didn't happen. Um, Steve will be joining us in a few weeks uh, for that planned episode. Uh, really looking forward to that one. But yeah, the the Oscars. Uh, any, any thoughts, guys? Anything? Um, or should we just get straight to the Infinity War trailer? Let's talk about Infinity War. Yeah, we have we mentioned we're Marvel fans? I... I I don't. Th- uh, regular listeners might have picked up on the fact that we're kind of looking forward to this film. It's the subtle hints, I think. Yeah, isn't it? yeah. I think we've spent an hour and a half um, talking about Marvel films. That's aside from the Black Panther review in episode four. Yeah, but this is a brand new trailer with brand new footage. Yeah. So you know, it's only right that we discuss it because have a brand new conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and we're not going to go over old ground. And, and I, I suppose if we do, I'll just edit it out. So guys, it's been a couple of days now since that two minute 17 second trailer not that I watched it 17 times uh, has dropped Rich what were your thoughts did, first off did you want to see another Infinity War trailer before the film actually gets released no I was ready I've been ready for about nine and a half years Poised. but absolutely like a coiled spring so no I was I was more than happy to not have another trailer and then I watched it and what a fool I was two minutes 17 seconds before Neil, um, you and me discussed the same, didn't you? Actually, yeah, I actually said to you, didn't I? I think they've, you know, they they don't oversell it, they don't overcook it. And then I saw it, and I was like, overcooked. No, which has well done. Yeah. That should be more appropriate. Stick a fork in me, I'm done. Stick my, a fork in me, yeah. My, my concern was that Marvel, they've done it occasionally, like they did with the Age of Ultron trailer. They showed us far too much. I didn't need to see Hulkbuster in that trailer. I would rather have that being kept a complete secret. The film didn't need to be. It didn't need to sell itself. The first Avengers film was one of the biggest films of all time. You know, Avengers: Age of Ultron was going to do fantastic money anyway, and I thought, well, you know, do I watch this last trailer? And then, it's, you know, of course I watched it, and I got to say, it just completely blew me away. Easily the equal of the trailers we've had so far for Infinity War. I really do hope this is the the last one now. Yeah, it was just absolutely fantastic. It's when you're stuck in a sort of hard place, really, I suppose, because creatively, you're right. They don't need to show any more trailers. But then the advanced ticket sales that that last trailer just got, mm. I mean, they talked about it being, I mean, it's pretty much a shoe-in for being the most successful superhero franchise film of all time anyway, but pre-ticket, sort of pre-sales now. Yeah, it's like a good factor, isn't it? Yeah, it's guaranteed in version, hasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I think the thing with it is as well, we know that it's the big team-up, we know that we're going to have Tony Stark and 
uh, Star-Lord. We know we're going to have all these interactions, but to actually see it for those split seconds and to see the interactions and see that you, it's div- you, you can't tell from a shorter trailer, you know, 2 minutes, 17 seconds. However, n- no one feels undersold. It, it feels you, you, you're looking forward to those moments. You really are. And I think that, you know, we're not, we're not doing a, a two-hour runtime like with Justice League. It is, it, it, I think they've announced today, is it? That, that it's no, like, it was, it was uh, last week. It's going to be two, two hours, 36 minutes. Yeah. So that's going to make it the longest MCU film. Yeah. yeah. You know, we've seen four minutes, maybe five minutes of footage. Mm-hmm. Um, if you combine all the stuff from the various trailers, and then you had the Comic-Con footage, which I have seen, um, a lot of the footage of which they haven't used they've not been in these, these trailers. Really, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. Because Thor hasn't got his eye patch. And, well, I think they just... Yeah, the little they, teasers like that. That was doctored, I think, yeah. for the, not to be spoiling Thor Ragnarok, obviously. But the criticism, the minor criticism that was levelled at the last trailer, whereby we had a first proper look at um, Thanos in daylight, was that the the, the rendering might be a bit soft. It, 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 there was some sort of suggestion that it wasn't going to be as good CGI. A lot of people criticised it. You know, no such concerns after seeing, no, seeing was, this trailer. No, I was going to say, yeah, because... They've definitely, I think it's early footage, isn't it? You know, the CG probably won 100% there. And people are stunned by the fact that we've had so many bad CGI villains in comic book films of late. Ares in uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah. You had Steppenwolf in Justice League, both of whom were the weak points of those films. You know, and and the better villains seem to be the human villains, and they do... Like uh, Killmonger. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Just by the fact that he's a a completely ruthless bastard is, you know, that's, that's his thing. Yeah. What what has he got? He's 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 just got um you know incredible fighting abilities, but he's way below the likes of you know Cap or Bucky mm. as far as ability goes. So it's just the fact that you've got a real tangible person there up on screen, but then that's not to say that a CG character when done well like Gollum or like the Planet of the Apes. Films. Exactly, that's what I was going to say. You know when you look at when you look at the work, particularly on Wolf of the Planet of the Apes, second to none, absolutely second to none, mm. and I think that that template. For, for Thanos, there's absolutely no reason whatsoever why we're not going to buy this as as yeah. the character existing in that in that world. Because I was going to say that's the, that's the thing with Ultron. I, the downfall for me with Ultron was he just looked like a bad Transformer. Yeah, I agree. But James Spader's performance it came through. Yeah, yeah it came, it did, came yeah. through. But this this seems to be a little bit more with Jasper and the facial expressions, and I think that helps a lot more. It's because know? it's a more human. Yeah, face. I was going to say yeah. it helps a lot more, yeah. doesn't it? The thing they get wrong when they're trying to do CG motion capture and they're trying to replicate a face that's artificial using CG is they, they overdo a lot of the expressions. Yeah, we were discussing what they did with Grand Moff Tarkin in Rogue One. It's like as if they took a little, those little twitches of the mouth and things like that which come natural, they, they overdid it a little yeah. bit. And then it comes across as unnatural. We've come from a point whereby we had, in the early days of, of, of the CG performance, whereby you had the criticism that the eyes looked dead, things like the Polar Express and whatever, it was the thing that oh, you couldn't quite couldn't quite get the eyes right, the eyes looked dead. They're over that, and now obviously we're in a lot of de-aging of characters in films and what have you, um, and, re- and, and, and complete recreations, such as you know, Moff Tarkin, Peter Cushing. For those that didn't know that he was dead, you would be forgiven for thinking that he was actually there. You know, it, it, it was very, very good. However, there, there seems there always seems to be something as a giveaway. There's always something as a telltale. Mm. And, and with Peter Cushing, it is the mouth. It is. It seems to be over. They've not quite got that right there. I think there's a difference in there because between a sort of CGI sort of almost standard creation and the sort of layered stuff they're doing with the de-aging. And in particular, if you look at um, uh, Logan with Hugh Jackman, I mean, so much of that is CGI. Yeah, and it, we, we've had this discussion we, about CG de-aging, and we actually didn't mention Logan. No, because Logan goes the other way. Yeah, it, yeah. It actually ages him. Well, they, they make Whereas, him older, and then yeah. they also make him 
make Hugh Jackman look slightly younger. Yeah. Now, we see the younger version doesn't stand up as well as Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Stark. Was, again, Douglas, Rich and I were discussing this because Rich now has watched it again. Yeah. And we agree now that the, the de-aging of Robert Downey Jr. in Civil War isn't as good as the de-aging of Michael Douglas no, no, in, no, it's not, no. in uh, Ant-Man. And Kurt Russell in Guardians mm-hmm. 2. Oh. The point is that Robert Downey Jr., when they would have been trying to make him look younger... They were working off Robert Downey Jr. now, who would have had the goatee at the time. So not only are they trying to make him younger, they're trying to do that hair removal. Yeah. And we know how troublesome that can be with the recent yeah. debacle of uh, Justice League yeah. with Henry Cavill. Henry Cavill. Yeah. Which was so you know they, they were going up against you know quite a, a tough task, and I think they you know in that little scene where yeah. we see a, a younger Tony Stark, I think it worked really well. Yeah. Our expectations of Infinity War, I think, is safe to say, are astronomically high. There's, there's a tease in every the main three there. You've got Thor, Stark, and Cap all coming against Thanos. Yeah. Uh, in, and all three, that's right. and all three are shown in potentially life-ending right. yeah, situations. Yeah. There. Now, now, Neil, you and me have discussed where the MCU is going to go since 2008, since it started, and since yeah. we knew that they were going to create this sort of bigger universe. And obviously, there was for me that disappointment in Cap- Captain America: Civil War, where they went against the book and they mm. didn't actually kill <clears> off Cap, which I still haven't fully, you know reconciled with because that I, I I was so firm on that is the way they have to go if they're going to do it now in Infinity War and we're going to lose several characters and certainly a few of the big ones at the moment where we are now what do you think would be the sensible thing to do and who to get rid of and who do you actually think they're going to kill off I think it's going to be a bit of a red herring with all three to be honest I think potentially at least one of the main three Thor, Cap, uh, Stark are going to get killed bear in mind that the footage we've seen from the the fourth Avengers film, which is being yep. shot, oh, yeah. outfit. where we see current t- timeline Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, and Ant Man interacting with the 2012 version of Cap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So surely that would suggest the Cap is going to bite the dust. I think I think it's going to be Cap. I think you might see Thor go as well, but I think there's going to be some little caveat for bringing at least one of them back. I'd say probably the Cap's the one that's going to bite bite the bullet. Here. Th- right. They're not going to kill off the, two. Of the let's look thing. at the trailer footage we've seen now, and obviously. This footage is never shown in order, but we've seen Thor. He meets up with the Guardians. Then think back to the second trailer where he's sort of in that. It looks like a Stargate type thing. This is that the controls for like the, the the star jump thing or whatever he uses to get from one place to the other. Does that happen before Thanos captures Thor and then we see him crushing his head and he does that as a way of getting Loki to give up the space gem? In which case, that is a good point. We see actually. Loki hand over the space gem. We don't see any more of Loki in any of the, mm-hmm. the footage. Does Thanos then kill Thor and Loki? And again, this is I, I haven't really given this much thought until now that we're thinking of you know we're answering this specific question. We haven't seen much of Thor after that point because the Guardians, when they're with Tony and oh. Doctor Strange and Spider-Man, here to be on Earth. No, I think they're on they're on that alien planet. And there is an alien planet there that some people are saying is actually the Soul Gem. I don't know if there's any truth in that. Oh, okay. Because there's one iteration of the Infinity War storyline where the Soul Gem manifested itself as some giant oh, right. uh, okay. planet. When we see the Guardians interacting with Iron Man, then surely if Thor is with a, a Iron Man, Thor should be there, but he's not. Yeah. It's good now, point. are they going to kill off? And that's going to be the big rug pull early on in the film, the big gut punch. Uh, Thor and Loki, why, it, why would he keep him around? Loki's just going to betray him. Thor's going to try and defeat him. Yeah. I, I see Loki going. I see Loki going. Yeah, I think, definitely. I think that he's... What more can they do with him? You know, Apart from completely redeem him, 
Yeah, but I think that he will redeem. Yeah. I think that's. I think that'll be his way. I think he will, yeah. for the at the cost of his life, Thor will survive. That's how I think it's going to happen. He's going mm. to ultimately the ultimate sacrifice is going to be that he dies uh, in order for Thor to live. Because I know that obviously there's, there's been talk of Thor four. There, there only seems to be of the core original Avengers at the moment. I know we keep hearing about the Black Widow movie that may come or may not, but there only seems to be talk really solid talk about the fear of the thor movie so i see i see thor surviving i think that we're gonna i think cap's gone i think but where is thor then in the footage that we've or the, the, the well we, we i think, it'd seconds, be, I, think we? It'd be, I think it'd be easy for thor to be presumed dead for thanos to give him like you know an almighty space up like and he goes flying off into the distance you don't see him for the rest of the film opening credits of avengers 4 you know, Thor wakes up on a planet or some distant moon or something. I think, I think yeah, that's the kind already of, had I think, that, I, think, the rock. I, I think that's the kind of tease you're going to have with Thor. Yeah, but they were, they wanted the presumption of him being dead there, was it? Was, he, no, that's right. Know, yeah. I think you're going to have the presumption of Thor being dead and it's going to be like the world's worst kept secret that he's not going to be yeah. dead. Yeah. I think Cap's the one who's going to get it. Yeah, I think Cap. Um, I, I won't mind betting Bucky as well. Because I think that with well, Bucky, they seem to have set up now with Black Panther, yeah, the, the white, think, the white no. wolf as well, because that's, that's well, actually, yeah, my, my thing was that, almost a sort of amalgamation of a character, haven't they, from Black Panther? Because in, obviously in the comics, he takes the title of um, Captain America. Yeah. However, I wondered whether that was going to be a rug pull as well. Was that it was we 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 want we desperately want as an audience Bucky to to be redeemed fully and, yeah. and take the mantle, and actually, you know, Thanos takes some prisoners. I, th- I, you know, I think Bucky's been redeemed now, isn't he? Yeah, 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 but I, but for the full sort of sort of effect, I guess. Mm. I, um, I think you're more likely to see Falcon taking over the, the getting all last shield and becoming yeah. Cap. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think it makes perfect sense that Cap goes because yeah. then we see the 2012 version because clearly Doctor Strange is there. I don't think Thanos is going to get the time gem. It seems like the time gem is probably going to be the most elusive of the lot for him. In in the storyline, when the Infinity Stones or gems or whatever you want to call them were destroyed, I can't remember how many times they've been destroyed now. And certainly on one occasion they were destroyed, and all they, they're all yeah they're all destroyed apart from the time gem which disappeared. And I always remember seeing that that panel in, in one of the stories where the time they all shattered, the time gem disappeared, and, and the time gem is always like they're all connected. The time gem is always the most elusive one, yeah, because it can it can just exist some other time and it's the one that possibly preserves the, the lot of them mm. you know so but, I, I think Doctor Strange is somehow going to escape even though we see him getting tortured I think yeah. he's going to escape with the time gem their thing is going to be well, look we need to undo all of this let's go back in time let's get Cap um, I'm sure at some point in the fourth film uh, Captain Marvel uh, Brie Larson yes. is going to appear because apparently any scenes now that were filmed for this Infinity War film with Brie Larson apparently have been cut. I think the Captain, uh, sorry, the Doctor Strange rug pull. I'll give you straight away. What you've seen him being tortured there—that's not him. That's some mystical manifestation he's given us. Could be a projection. Yeah, it's certainly projection. could. Yeah. I do have concerns about us going down the time traveling route and the the the, the Scarlet Witch's powers of creating sort of realities and what have you. Mm. And, and because I think to myself, where's the peril then? If if it can be redeemed you know they, they can go down a route with the story and then it can turn out to be uh oh it was okay it was yeah. it was scarlet which doing this or it was that kind of thing it, and it works in a comics but like you say on a film that becomes bobby you in the shower then yeah and, 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 is, uh, and i've got a, and, and that yeah, is probably right. one of my big issues mm. with dr strange coming in and with, with the extra sort of abilities that he has about 
sort of you know you could be anywhere and and it, it just seems to be one step too far for me at the moment but they, they've said haven't they that the macroverse or, or mm. the, and the multiverse which have been introduced in ant-man and doctor strange are going to play a big part in the forthcoming films yeah. this week they've also announced and, and you know the russo brothers are being very secretive very clever with the information they're dropping the fact that two unexpected characters are going to play key roles in infinity war and the two characters that we've seen nothing of so far are hawkeye and ant-man yeah now ant-man could be in the poster that we've just had had revealed but he could just be so small that you know the way they used ant-man in civil war the fact that they throw him in late in the game he completely steals the show and then he's gone again yeah that's going to be the best way to use ant-man yeah how that's going to work with hawkeye i'm not exactly sure but clearly they're going to feature in the film at some point, and I think they're going to be characters which Marvel are going to quite cleverly keep the lid on until the final film. Yeah. Obviously, we know that Ant Man survives because we see him, mm. you know, back in this. But you know, again, we're putting so much faith in so much stock in some supposed on the set photos. True. This could all be. Could all be yeah. A massive smokescreen. And, you know, and all of this conjecture Marvel, will just be for nothing. I was going to say Marvel are quite good at sort of saying we're only going to tell you what we want to tell. They're, they're, yeah, they're, yeah. they're fantastic at it. Look, we're, we're twelve months away from Avengers Four or thirteen months away from Avengers Four. We don't even know what the title of it is yet. Yeah. No. You know what other studio? What other? What other um, sort of film company would would not tell us the, the sort of the entire state what's coming up? So. I, I granted the title will probably be the reveal at the end of yeah. uh, Infinity War. There'd be, there's other companies that would that would be telling us what we've got, and we'd know the title of it, whether it's Secret War or whatever it's going to be, that would tell us. Well, based on the comics, this is probably what's going to happen in Infinity War. Yeah. But they are they're so confident. Cards in the chest. They know yeah, what they're doing. But, it, yeah. but that's the way to do it, isn't it? That you know, in the mm. time that where we are now, where everything is photographed, everything's snapped, everything's on the internet within minutes. The very fact that we don't know what it is, what the title is, that it hasn't been leaked at all. Uh, I think it's to their credit and the fact they haven't felt the need to tell us anymore. I think I was going to say they haven't justified it because going on to Justice League that was supposed to be a two-parter. Yeah. And they when they condensed it down to the one film for mm-hmm. obvious reasons that we all know now to begin with they were almost sort of justifying the reasons why it, you know why they changed their plan whereas Marvel yeah. just gone nah yeah. just, you know doing our own thing. Yeah. What are we now 30 something days away from uh, Infinity War? How many War? minutes? <laughs> yeah, it's like a big countdown to uh, Infinity War clock in the film 89 Towers. Is it right? Yeah, we're, we're all going we're to all see it. Yeah, we're all going to go and see it on um, day one. Uh, we've not been able to snag any preview screenings, and if they're going to be revealed later on in, in, in the day, then fine, we'll try and get to them. I got a funny feeling with this, the only press screenings are going to be up in London. Yeah, I would imagine so. I would imagine there's going to be quite a sort of heavy sort of um, embargo, embargo, embargo on there. Yeah, there'll be a huge. Uh, spoiler embargo on this so nope. I, I'm completely stoked I can't wait how uh, cool is that Cap fighting Thanos oh, at the end oh. Oh. Yeah, we, we know the Cap is <laughs> he nearly picked up Thor's hammer in Age of Ultron yeah, yeah, yeah. you know we know Cap is he, he's awesome he, he's my favourite MCU character at the moment and but I still want him to die in this film because for the character just yeah just for the character because that, that will make him the ultimate martyr the ultimate hero and Great, kill him off. You know, in a film with so much at stake, with with you know, we've been building up for so long to this. I, I loved, I loved the, the final scene of the trailer to bring it back, just to sort of add that light Marvel tone with it, with with Peter Parker and Doctor Strange, and what a you know, mm-hmm. that that was just so so well timed that it was it was it was comedy, but it wasn't forced. It was really 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 good, and it was so in keeping with the character. And I just thought, you know, we've just had all this peril, we've had these characters die in left, right, and center, and then you got that awesome little gag at the end. And ultimately, yeah. let's just remind ourselves of the fact that if we went back in time and spoke to our younger selves ten years ago and said, "Have a look at this 
two and a bit minute trailer. You would have been just. You, your I mind would, would have exploded. I would just yeah, my mind that. would have just blown. And then you know they made it all work. Um, I don't think there's been a bad MCU film yet. Even the likes of Thor: The Dark World, as we've discussed before, it's got its good moments. It's a win-win situation. I can't see the Russo brothers making any serious missteps with it. It's the most hotly anticipated film for me since I really don't know what. This is the most anticipated film in my lifetime. I'd Possibly, be yeah. yeah be more so than Phantom Menace. More so than Phantom. Let's try and let's try and think back to what we were like in. Early 1999. Were we more stoked for that film? Let's put aside. No, no, I can't honestly say no. Because we, no, I don't think I Because we hadn't had a decade run. We had no. That's we'd right. had f- 14 years without anything. Oh, it was exciting, but not on the same level of what we got yeah. here. And it, you know, it definitely wasn't a case of like you say, we just spent over a decade building towards yeah. this yeah. one film. We, d- yeah. we didn't have. We didn't have with the Phantom Man. It's the same guarantee of quality. I think we've yeah. got now. Yeah. so many of the other films oh, of that genre. especially now because they all fit together the fact that we've seen General Ross yeah. back in the MCU which is another connection to make the Incredible Hulk the valid part of, you know, yeah. instead of being the, the bastard child of the MCU because it was kind of you know yeah. with the legalities of Universal owning exclusive rights to a Hulk mm-hmm. film it, it almost felt as if they were pushing it to one side but they, you know, they brought it back into the fold so we've had 10 years of consistently very good quality well I'll say well, this now even, even the lower regarded films you sort of come out and think that one that one one of Marvel's best so I perhaps didn't enjoy that as much as I thought it was yeah. going to be you never come out going that was a shit film yeah. no. pound for pound when you average out the quality across these 18 films now yeah. the, the MCU is by far the most consistent franchise it's, it's, I, I can't think of a better film franchise at the moment like you say, if you added up all of, if if you individually scored all those films out of ten, I reckon you'd be coming up with like a seven or an eight as an average. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Absolutely agreed. Yeah, if you I put think all you, those you, you'd you'd probably you'd probably be eight and a half. I think because well, I can't think remember about, how to do maths, but go on. <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be looking at eight, eight and a half because yeah. really, the off the top of my head, we've just said the ones that are that are the lower quality ones. That'd be the incredible looking Thor: yeah. The Dark World. Give me mm. another one yeah, that right. you would honestly say, well, no, that's think of three bad MCU films. Bad, well, I'd, I'd say bad is a five or below. Yeah. No, I can't no. think of one. I'd, I'd rate them all a, a six, at least a six, i got to be honest. So, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah probably, probably closer to eight or nine than average score. Yeah. yeah. Whereas we look at, and, you know, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but the way the Star Wars franchise has gone. Mm. What, Empire's film of the year? Empire magazine readers have voted The Last Jedi the best film of 2017. Such amazing timing. And so lucky that the I don't think Neil is in Blu-ray any way time with the, the the fourth coming imminent Blu-ray I'm release. I'm sure that's purely to do coincidental. With Blu-ray release because I'm sure sales of that film are going to be astronomical. Remind me again, what was the main issue with uh, Last Jedi? Was that professional film critics seem to love it? Yeah, and whereas your yeah, Rotten Tomatoes score, it was audience, about 50, scores, 50. audience score was a lot lower. It was about fifty percent. All right, so do the readers of Empire vote for these films? Apparently so. Oh right, and this is no slight on Empire Magazine. Um, you know, I know. I'm not Empire. Yeah, it, but I just, you know, it, it's that baffling. is no way the film of the year. No, no it isn't. It isn't. It's not, the biggest no disappointment of the year, maybe, but it's not a film of the year. Yeah, and you know, I I don't want to upset people like our own Steve Amos. Uh, hey, Rich is back with Animal Marvel and slagging off Star Wars. And away we go. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, any more? Um, anything else to say now on Infinity War? I think we've already eaten up uh, 25 minutes talking about this well, film. I'm sure everyone's bored the tears and on and on. I was going to yeah. say, th- th- the last third of the film's going to be set in Wakanda, almost exclusively, they're saying now, aren't they? 
Yeah. You know, which will have an impact with Black Panther 2, which is a bit disappointed that they're not actually filming in Wakanda, obviously. Well, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, just like, why can't they just film it? We're, we're being ironic, people. It's something they termed the shimmer. Everything's stuck in a continuous mutation. It's expanding, threatening everything. You have to stop it. Okay, so our main review this week is Alex Garland's quite controversial science fiction film, Annihilation. Controversial because pretty much, I think, internationally, it's been put thrown straight on Netflix. Is that right? Yeah, Paramount have released it in the US. Theatrically. Uh, theatrically, yeah. but other than that, the whole distribution is through Netflix for the rest of the world, I believe. So what do you know about the reasoning behind that, guys? Because my... My reading of it is that I don't think Paramount were happy with um, Garland's final cut of the film. There was a little bit of argument and contention between the two. The agreement was he would retain final cut. The flip side of that was Paramount for reasons that may seem clear now when we find out you know, the, the box office takings in America for the film. Basically gave the film straight to Netflix. Do you know, I think it's actually quite a good move uh, on Paramount's part because they're unsure of a property. They release it theatrically in the US. Yeah. They then get. I, I'm not going to quote the figures, but I know you're talking fifty mil plus. No, you mean the the, the budget. The, the the net, no, the Netflix have paid for distribution. Ah, right. So, right. so you've made your money back. Yeah, sure. Plus, you get cinephiles like ourselves mm-hmm. watching the film on Netflix when, and studying whether that should have been shown on the big screen. And I think you know that's going to be the big question, which I think ultimately, aside from talking about this film, given our verdict of it, I think the ultimate question we've got to ask ourselves is. Did Paramount make the right move in selling this film to Netflix for an international release? And is that going to be something we're going to see happening more often when studios get a little bit shaky with medium budget films? It's an easy route for a studio executive to make. I, I, see, I can't remember the exact figures. I know it was 55 mil they paid for Cloverfield. Yeah. For the last Cloverfield. Yeah. So I'd imagine this is around the same sort of ballpark figure. Mm-hmm. And like you say, when you've got a when you've got a, a mid budget film, you're virtually guaranteed to make a profit for doing virtually nothing. And the other thing as well, I think, which puts studios off is the fact that it's it's an R rated film. Well, it's a, it's it's, yeah. a, it's essentially everything that if you were working in the marketing department, you would sort of be wary of. Really, it's yeah. a highbrow, high concept, mm. sci fi, like say R rating. It's ringing the alarm bells of, you know, we're not going to sell many toys off the back of this. So, we, you know, the McDonald's Happy Meal yeah. is not coming off this one, is it? Yeah, so just to give a brief rundown of the plot, um, it stars Natalie Portman, who plays a, a biologist by the name of Lena, whose husband, played by Oscar Isaac, has been missing for 12 months. He then yeah, just so, returns yeah. out of the blue yeah. with very little memory as to where he's been. Uh, he then becomes gravely ill and... On the way to hospital in an ambulance, they get ambushed by government operatives. She then finds herself in a government installation that is on the edge of some sort of alien anomaly. This anomaly seems to be growing, and (coughs) Natalie Portman very quickly puts her name forward to go into it to sort of find a cure for her husband who is is dying, having been the only person to come back from this thing in... The Shimmer. The Shimmer, shimmer, yeah, yeah. Which has been there for, is it three or... Four years, something like three that. Three years, I think. Yeah, yeah. three years. It's, it's growing, hasn't it? It's been yeah. multiplying for three years. The, the doctor, the sort of coerces her into going into the Shimmer, is played by Jennifer Jason Lee, And then a team of four yeah. females, um, Tessa Thompson uh, being one, who we recently saw in um, Thor Ragnarok. Valkyrie, yeah. They end up going into the Shimmer, this this sort of alien environment, which is, you know, it, it's basically Earth, which looks to have been altered by this, this sort of phenomenon. 
So going into it, Richie, what were your initial thoughts on Annihilation? Right to the start, I thought it was very, very good. I was very, very much into it. I was enjoying. I felt like it was. It was. I like the fact that that obviously we we knew that she'd come out of the the shimmer. So we knew that this, as as um, as uh, Hayden says in his in his review, we knew that it was going to be about the journey. It wasn't going to be about her coming out. So we knew that. Which I like that. I liked the. I thought visually, aesthetically, very, very pleased, and I liked the way that it was shot. I liked the the, the music cues. I felt that it was. It was clearly. Um, it was clearly intellectual. It was clearly going to be something you were going to be thinking about. It was something that was going to disturb us as a viewer, which I which I really liked. I really got into that. Sort of as it progressed, then it didn't. You know, it didn't stick out to me that it was a, a team of four females. I know people have commented since, so you know, it, it's sort of that that might be one of the reasons why it was sold to Netflix internationally because they didn't have the, the confidence in the fact that it was a, a, an entire female cast, what have mm. you. That didn't stand out to me. That wasn't an issue at all for me. Uh, I was I was enjoying it. It was it was a bit slow. It was a bit. It was it was okay. But it it kept my interest and it kept it kept ticking along. I liked how when they started to discover what the effects of the shimmer were with the cross sort of pollination of DNA. Uh, we had the initially we had the alligator uh, with the with the numerous the shark's with, teeth. With the shark's yeah. teeth. I th- I thought that was really you know it was really well done and really good and it was really getting you thinking. It was that sort of all of the the the, the forest and and everything. visually it was really really pleasing. So th- that was my I, I was sort of. Halfway through, I was happy, and I thought, you know, I'm along for the ride for this. Yeah, sorry, we should have said up front, we're going to be spoiling this film completely. If you're planning on watching Annihilation, turn us off now, go watch it, and uh, turn us back on, listen to our review once you've seen the film. So yeah, we are going to be spoiling this film quite heavily. Neil? Really kind of lost with this film. Um, Seeing the sort of brief trailer for it, I really didn't know what to expect with the film. I thought there was going to be one or two things. I thought it was either going to be an in-your-face action type sci-fi or a very sort of intellectual sci-fi and i think it settles somewhere in between the two really doesn't it like we said the cross-pollination yeah. aspects mm. of it obviously we're gonna we all know it's got loads of references to the thing yeah you yeah. know definitely yeah, that yeah. type I, of yeah very inspired by the thing what i would say with this like i say the same thing with the all-female cast that's what shocked me more about paramount doing this yeah I you know, the, the world is crying out at the moment for strong yeah. female-led Characters in all different types of roles, and then they go and throw. And they go and throw away the ones. Now mm. I might have missed this, but was there any reason made for an all-female team going? I because I can't recall the scene where they said we're just going to send females. No, this it was time. it was all it was purely just, circumstantial. It was just natural. Yeah, it was just natural and organic. Now to me, that is one of the greatest displays of anti-cynicism I've seen for putting an all-female casting. Yeah. And I, Usually, I think it the, would be a case of. Men can't do it because of this, or yeah. only women can go there because of That's whatever. Right. They just went and did it, yeah. and like you say, it wasn't on the nose, no. and I didn't notice it. Yeah, yeah, and that's they, well, they it wasn't until I read afterwards bits and pieces where I thought where I've said that the, the comments were made about the fact that was that something to do with why Paramount sent it straight there because it had it wasn't something that, that even occurred to me. Yeah. I, it didn't it didn't occur to me at all. And the fact is, they didn't elevate the importance of these female characters and the prominence of them by belittling male characters. They did exactly what Wonder Woman did. Yeah. At no point does Chris Pine's character of Steve Trevor get belittled or made a fool of. Apart from, you know, there's a few little gags in it, but they're gags he's part of. They're not. Yeah, I was going to say it's more him, yeah. him, him instigating those characters. That's right. Yeah, and in the end, he you know he makes the ultimate hero sacrifice in the film. They're, they're on like an equal footing. Bear in mind, he's just a human and she's a superpowered yeah. goddess. I think at the point in Annihilation, when you ask yourself the question, oh, uh, this is an all female cast, uh, why have they gone and done that? Any particular reason? The simple answer is, would you be asking yourself the same question if it had been four guys going in? No. You wouldn't. And at that point, I think the film, 
or, or, or the idea behind that question is shut the fuck up this is how it is yeah. Yeah. there's no explanation needed and the film doesn't make a point of the fact no. that it's four women going in yeah. it was recently I heard a review of Red Sparrow I haven't seen the film so I can't comment on it and one of the comments was made was that uh, Jennifer Lawrence doesn't play a feminist role model no one has to be a feminist role model it's yeah. the old Joe Rogan uh, gag about he sees a bumper sticker where it says girls kick ass and he's like no some of them do yeah, yeah, agree. yeah, and that's yeah. that's where you need yeah. to have that balance. Yeah. Now, as we have to say with this, if they'd said at the beginning, we sent men in, and for some reason men can't come out, but we think women can, so we're going to send you in, yeah. it would have been on the nose. But with this, it was like you say, it was just organic. It was, it was organic. Can I, anyone who's, who's read our review on Film 89, uh, that, that review was written by Hayden Sparrell. That, that's his article. But if I could just read out this little excerpt from the, from, from the review that I just think sums up so much about the film perfectly. If there are comparisons to be made to other ensemble horror films, it stops at Annihilation's cast of characters. Gone are the tropes and the inconceivable actions of intellectuals and professionals replaced with characters that act in accordance with their motives, their predicament and their level of expertise. They behave exactly as they would be expected both as academics and in Lena's case as soldiers and additionally as terrified victims. The elephant in the room is this. At the time when there is a greater need and desire for films steered by firm female-led characters, Paramount had a gem on its hand that it decided to bury. For me, that is just such a perfect summation of the film. All credit to Hayden. That summed up so much about what is good about the film, the fact that these characters... There isn't one put in that is particularly weak just to be the the scream queen, I guess, killed by one of the monsters. Well, I say, if you look at um, uh, Thompson's character, she's a self-harmer, she's... Mm -hmm. And you know they're not say, and perfectly given a spoilers. Even the way she goes out as well is quite sort of sacrificial, sacrificial, yeah, yeah. but yeah. almost sort of resident to you know I don't I don't care if I live yeah. or die anymore. Yeah. True, but there which was, all fits in with her character. But there was no part in that where she was played as a weak character or a damaged character. Not at all. Yeah, yeah. She, well, she's she, they she, make one reference to she hides the scars yeah. on her abs. Yeah, she's well. She's actually being quite logical because pretty much she knows that they're all fucked. She's yeah. made the bravest decision there, obviously, because yeah. she didn't try to fight it. She's, yeah. she's got no. She's yeah. got nothing at home to go back to, so she's she's making the choice yeah. to give herself up. That rather might than actually be better for her. Yeah. Now, if you look at walking that, into flowers, you know it was it's peaceful, isn't it? It's yeah. just that sort of. Yeah. That's what she did. It, it, the flowers were coming out of her arms, and she right. walked in. Now, if you put that in a lesser director's hands or a lesser writer's hands. That character could have been so cliche, could Absolutely, have been so good. Yeah. Let's be honest, corny, hackneyed over Clumsy. the top. Yeah. Yeah. With some studios you're looking at, oh, are we ticking a box now by putting someone in with the health issues? Yeah. But again, did that feel forced? Did that Not feel at all? No. 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 And it's only because of that throwaway thing. And you can actually in one scene later on you can see she's actually got self harm scars. Yeah. So she, you know, clearly she's a girl that's suffering from yeah. you know, some sort of mental health issues. They're, they're flawed human beings, aren't they? They're real human beings. Well, they're just normal human beings, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's Which it, is yeah. great because they're not, they're not superhumans. That's the point. We're all flawed, aren't we? It's human. We yeah. are all flawed. Well, even with Portman's character, I mean, you have the sort of flashbacks where she's having sex with the uh, the co-worker, I assume it is. Yeah. And I was, in my head, the first scene with that, I'm thinking, okay, so the husband had gone away. Yeah. She thought he was dead. Six months later, she's had a, f- you know, a few drinks. Mm. She slept with like a, a, like a co-worker like a confident friend someone she can trust and, that, and then she regrets it and it turns out no yeah. she's having an affair yeah. and you know her affair with him could have been the reason why he went away Oscar Isaac's character yeah. ended yeah, up going he, yeah. well, we, we didn't for me, we didn't get the payoff for that then did we because we I didn't feel that that she when, when we found out that she had an affair I didn't feel that we didn't see guilt in it did we we didn't see or did we I, I, for, I didn't I didn't get the intent I think the I, fact I, that we were I seeing think, that I think seeing she, that flashback yeah. her flashback that, that is, yeah, that is her telling the audience, "This is what I've done." 
now I realise that my husband probably went away sacrificing himself because of what I had done to our relationship. That, was that that's after, the killer. I think that's the thing as well. I think she'd always spent all that time that he was uh, mission, missing in action. I think all the time that he'd been away, I think that was her period of guilt. And then when he came back, she was so relieved. It was almost right, we could start again. Mm. And of course, he's yeah. taken away from her again. So it's, yeah. it's more... I'd say not so much guilt as in redemption is like I am, I am you know I've lived with this guilt I've yeah. lived with this pain now you're back I'm going to bring you back now from this illness and yeah. we're going to start again I'm going to make this right I appreciate it more now I'm yeah. because I, it did stick now, out to me then. Is, that was the first thing that was yeah. the first point in the film where I, I started to think that took me out to the film I thought why why are we why are we finding this out because it doesn't seem to be paying dividends in in the, in in, the, in your current story yeah, I, I see. It wasn't something that sort of instantly popped into into my head when I saw it. But it was only afterwards when I was thinking, like as Sky was saying, that's probably the reason you volunteered for this mm. mission. That's probably the reason you yeah, went away. Yeah, it's a good point. What Garland's done with this, a lot of other films, that would have been rammed home to the viewer. It's not. It's, it's almost like I'm happy for you to come to that conclusion later on yourself when you're thinking about it or when you're talking about it. Yeah. Going into this film, I was initially struck by the fact that. When we see Oscar Isaac come back, and you think obviously she's dreaming, and the fact that that was played in such a surreal way, and he was actually there, that was a bit of a rug pull. I didn't see that coming. No, I was going to say so early on in the film, yeah. you're like you've literally you've barely had time to accept the fact that her husband has been missing for or, or gone for twelve months. I actually think they didn't actually say that he'd been missing. He'd been gone. I, I think presumed dead yeah, by that yeah, point. Yeah. For, from the audience's point of view, I think we are to assume that he died as opposed yeah, yeah. to went missing. Well, that was, that was sort of implied with the, the co-worker at the beginning yeah. when, he, when he was saying to her, you need to come he's out. He's been gone. Yeah. He's, been, you know, yeah. he's, he's been gone and, yeah. you know, it was almost accepted the fact mm. that like, we haven't found a body, but he's not coming back, so you need to move yeah. on with your life. And then, you know, he turns up in, in a really surreal fashion and then you're thinking, like, well, obviously we know the, the, the central premise that there's something very alien involved. We've seen this sort of meteorite crash at, at the beginning. Yeah. Again, another little callback to the thing. Very much. Very similar shot. So we know there's going to be something alien involved. And we're trying to fit in the pieces ourselves. My thought initially was, that is not him. That is some sort of alien facsimile of her husband. That's why he hasn't got complete memories. So, you know, there's all these little angles you could be looking at. Yeah. And then when he starts coughing up blood, then you're thinking, oh, actually, maybe it is him. So all the while... he's sort of possessed by something. Yeah, yeah. Or something inside so, him, yeah. Which are all, like, common, you know, tropes of, of science fiction and horror. And... As the film progressed and we get into the shimmer and we find out that biology in particular is completely skewed, things are wrong, there's something incredibly alien about the film. Several films I immediately started thinking of was first off the thing, yeah. just the fact that the the alien biology in that film is just so unlike anything we'd seen at the time. Mm. And then watching this film now, we're seeing things which are just slightly wrong, everything's slightly different, the way all the plant life looks. And uh, the, the fact that they find plants with various different types growing out of the same yeah. roots, uh, you know, the, the the messed up albino alligator with shark's teeth, uh, the fact that they're going, you know, eventually start going through changes themselves, it all just felt very otherworldly, completely alien, very much unlike anything we'd seen before. And the other film I started thinking a lot about was Under the Skin, about the fact that we're seeing an alien entity or organism or whatever the hell the shimmer is that is, is unlike anything we've seen and from that point of view you know the film had me hooked up until till a point towards the end where I, I just kind of think it either went off the boil or I'll re-watch the film because we're discussing the film now and since I've watched this film I have not I've given it some thought but I've not given it much thought in depth 
because I haven't been entirely sure of how I feel about the film. Yeah, I and I think it's going to be a film that demands a second doing. Yeah. Now, going back to Garland's uh, previous film, Ex Machina, that was a film that from the start I was completely hooked with. Yeah. yeah. That's a film that I, I've watched since and really enjoyed on, on a second watch. And the things I liked about it on the second watch were the fact that, as I've said to you, Richard, is Alicia Vikander's character, you know, the the android, the artificial intelligence that um, Donald Gleeson is there to sort of interact with as a test. The thing that's so interesting from the start is her seduction of him and the fact that you were watching him fall for, yeah. and in a way, fall in love with this completely artificial creation that is coming across as so human. And the way that that is played out in the dialogue, the, the amazing performances, is the hook in the film. And that hook is still there the second time you watch the film. Now, I think... the one thing that Annihilation was lacking for me was that similar sort of hook, the thing that would immediately pull me back to want to watch the film again. There was, a, there was, a, I would completely agree with that. There's a lot of great elements to Annihilation, but I will say I could, I've seen some criticism of it where the people have sort of knocked it for being slow, deliberate. It is a film I think it's going to need two or three viewings. I, I was tempted to watch it again last night before doing this, and I thought, no, I won't do it as a, as a first time viewing. Yeah, I, th- I think one of the things that that didn't strike with me was actually by the end of it I wasn't all that sympathetic for Natalie Portman's character I sort of we know we know she yeah. comes out you realise actually that, that the journey for the other characters are actually a bit more interesting than hers and by yeah. the end of it mm. we know that she's going in you know obviously for spoilers for the end of it we, we've obviously we find her in we find her in the in the lighthouse she watches the video footage of, of her husband uh, blowing up the sulfur grenade uh, the sulfur grenade so you, you have a pang of oh so actually Evan oh, I forgot about that bit because He'd already killed himself, so the version that she has seen is a facsimile. It's yeah. a copy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so that, so, so you get that little payoff there that oh well, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't him after all because obviously he walks and he's got this different hair style slick, slick hair, and he gone, sort of yeah. looks in, in into the camera. So you get that, which is a bit of a payoff. But I actually didn't care what happened to Natalie Portman after that. It, we knew she gets out. I, yeah. I wasn't interested in finding out. Well, what happens now? Yeah, I was going to say. Well, it, I think it leaves it so ambiguous anyway. She's more of a protagonist than a hero in this, isn't she? Let's be honest. She's more of a story driver yeah. than a yeah. sort of hero or a heroine, you know. And I think that's the thing with this. There's good and bad in this film. I wanted to sort of go for the good first, but I will say the, the driving factor for me here was I wanted to find out what the shimmer was. I wanted to find out why the shimmer was, yeah. why it was doing this, and whether that's going to come on second viewings. But, I don't know. You know, you got that unanswered question still exists with us in the thing. Yeah, you know, myself I, I, and, I will and agree with that, yeah. Myself and Matt Jenkins and Martin Castle in episode three, we could have discussed the thing for three hours. There, there's endless variations as to what you think that creature is. Is that creature the pilot of the ship that crashed? Is it an organism that infected the pilot of the, of the ship? What is the creature's ultimate goal? Which seems you know, probably pretty clear, but there's, there's still a lot of ambiguity in that film. And I do kind of like the ambiguity in Annihilation. Whether it's too in ambiguous, I'm saying in five or six years' time, will we be sat here after we've read stuff on the internet, come up with our own theories, debated it between ourselves or whatever? It was just something missing there, that little hook. With the thing, you had that hook of what is this thing trying to yeah. do? Why is this thing doing it? And I, I, just seemed, I don't know what it was, a little missing component there. But for me in between that, you've got the fact that you had far more engaging characters. Yeah, in the thing, and this is no slight on the characters in Annihilation, but the thing is one of the most perfectly cast films I've ever seen, with a cast of apart from uh, Kurt Russell at the time and Keith David, who I think has become a lot more famous since. Virtual unknowns, 
to to a degree. Yeah. They're, they're all they're all so ca- they're all character actors. Wilford Brimley. Wilford Brimley. <laughs> I, sorry, Wilford Brimley. I, 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 I don't sorry, I take that. They, they, but they're not they're not A-listers like in the in the no. same vein that Natalie Portman is, and the fact that Tessa Thompson is now hot shit at the moment, mm-hmm. isn't she? Yeah, after back so, of Creed and Ragnarok. Exactly. I mean, yeah. So I know, obviously, I've got a heavy bias towards the thing as as we all have, but I don't think that Annihilation in any way stands up to a film like that. I think it is, I think it's a great sci-fi film. It's a great recent sci-fi film, but I don't think it's going to stand amongst the great science fiction films like. Uh, 2001 and you know The Thing The Thing and Annihilation is like Predator and Dog Soldiers I enjoy Dog Soldiers but it's never going to be Predator true yeah yeah. yeah. and I think that's probably a, doing the film a disservice there but yeah it's, it's. I see where you're coming from it's, it's, not, it's not going to attain that hype for me I don't think no. I do think that this is where Paramount uh, releasing via Netflix is going to shoot them in the foot because I do think that if it was on theatrical release there's a good chance that it would have picked up a bit of pace and we'd be more likely to see a sequel. I don't want to see a sequel, but I think that that there's, you know, in the world that we live, where everything is a franchise, I think that, that if it was, I think that if, if it was released in the cinema, they would be looking at a sequel. And I think then we'd be we'd be having our answers. Then we'd be having could, aliens to our alien that we've just yeah, had. Yeah, that could that could be the problem. I think someone like Garland, you talk about a franchise. I think he's out the door. Well, guys, yeah. did did any of you see the theatrical trailer for Annihilation before the move was made to put it over to Netflix? No. no. I saw the trailer a few weeks back. My immediate thing, I think, I was with my wife at the time. I turned to her and I thought, eh, that doesn't look very good. We, yeah. we always do that when we're watching trailers in the cinema. We always say, yeah, is that going to be any good? Mm. And with that film, I think we both looked at each other and just thought, and that I don't think from the offset, Paramount had marketed that film particularly well. I don't think they know what they're doing with this. Oh, I don't think they did at the time, which is probably has gone and fueled the decision to give this film to Netflix. Well, I've read that they, that you know, with the thing with the test audience, I say give they, you know, they, they, yeah. they distributed made, the film via they've, Netflix. They've made their money back off it. It's a safe, like I was saying, it's yeah. a safe bet. If you look at, yeah, you know, yeah, fifty plus million. But what I don't made want, your money back. You know, as as, as, a, as someone who likes to see films in the cinema and doesn't want to see the death of cinema, which I don't think we will. But if moves like this become more commonplace now, we're going to have studios being a lot more twitchy when it comes to releasing those yeah. films. Such as if a studio had made a film like Deadpool, that could have been a risk. So just, it, yeah, and, and and thought, well, let's just give it to Netflix because we know we can we can demand a hundred million dollars yeah. for a Marvel property to Netflix. They will bite our hands off, and then we're going to be guaranteed we're going to spend fifty-five million dollars on making the film. Really we're not going to spend anything really on marketing it because we're going to just sell it straight yeah. to Netflix for a hundred million. Or say 120 million. Yeah. Well, that could be the new the new way of getting around the the, the, the three times uh, budget issue, where a film is said to have to make three times its original production budget to cover yeah. marketing costs, which are not part of the production budget. Well, it's similar to what we were talking about. I think it was Jim that brought it up last time, where you got film companies now that are spending millions on getting a Super Bowl ad. Well, all mm. you got to do is put it on Facebook. Yeah. You know, all you got to do is share that video on Twitter, yeah. and you've got. 10 times the audience agreed and it doesn't cost you a penny alright no. it costs you a production value but the guy makes a trailer the, the guy yeah. who makes a trailer works for Paramount anyway so they make exactly. difference, yeah, you know yeah. this could be a double edged sword hopefully it'll be the right move for Paramount it's, it's dodgy ground with Netflix with me at the moment I don't know if I'm, I approve or disapprove of it if you look at a film like Bright for instance sake, which you know I've reviewed Bright and I didn't give it a particularly good score it was an okay film but that film literally couldn't get made without Netflix jumping I, I on board. I think I think you were a lot more positive about Bright than 
a lot of people. I, yeah, but what I'm saying is, I won't score in that film. I think I scored like a five or a six. I don't think I scored a seven or you know an eight, nine, or ten score. What I'm saying is, now if you look at a film like that where Netflix has put ninety million in, and you think, well, that film wouldn't have got made without that. Yeah. Like I say, the Cloverfield thing was last minute jump ship. Let's sell to Netflix, fifty five million dollars. Yeah, Annihilation I would imagine is going to be in the same sort of ballpark. Mm. Would Annihilation have got a theatrical release anyway? Well, you know, well, I think on that's, that's what they were heading towards. The fact that they were put in the trailer in UK cinemas, uh, you know, back at, you know, eight weeks ago or whatever it was. You know, I, I can't remember the exact time I saw it. it. It wasn't that long ago. I think it was a week or two before the announcement that they were going to pull it from theatres. You know, you are right. I did see it in the cinema. I, well, I remember. I think yeah, right. we were having a conversation, uh, and I think Hayden, who's over in Australia, yeah. was saying that he really hopes that he gets to see Annihilation. In the cinema, that's right. That's right. And I think at that point, I was like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa what's going on? Why is it?" And having already seen the trailer, I thought, "Well, what the hell? They they can't. Yeah. Surely they cannot pull Alex Garland's next film. Bearing in mind how, how great X Machina was. Oh, it's, it's great it's, film, yeah, fantastic film. film. Fantas- From we'll what talk, it is, we'll talk more about it after this. Yeah, it, yeah. well, just talk about it now. Yeah. X Machina is it? Is Annihilation as good as X Machina? No, no, no. I was very surprised to find that they'd actually done this. Because as much as I didn't think that from the trailer the film was for me, I I I now seen that that trailer wasn't particularly well put together. They actually come across as a as a why as a as a young adult uh, adaptation of a, of a book that I wasn't particularly uh, yeah. aware of. But when I saw the final film, I thought the tone and everything was completely different to what I'd seen in the trailer, and it was actually quite a a, a, a gritty, you know, adult intelligent science fiction film. Yeah. I, but I, th- I don't think that is what that. Paramount trailer was selling. It seems a strange now not a back Garland. You know, if I was Paramount yeah. and I can get Garland's next film, I'm thinking, well, this is my view nerve now. This is this is the guy. This is the guy that's going to yeah. take people on. Yeah. Well, I've got an all female cast. Yeah, you know, again, how well is that going to go down know, at the moment? You got. Let's be honest, Garland. I mean, Carl Urban recently, you know, is crediting him as being a director of Dread. He's saying that was the film's director. Well, he's not credited as the film's director, but he was our director. Hmm. You know, he won just a screen. A screen. I can't remember the, the original director's name though, so I put to apologize. There was documented sort of troubles there with the studio. He, he jumped ship late in the day. Garland stepped on board. Mm. You know, Cal Urban saying, no, no, right from the start, this was our director. And then we're doing this as well. If I was Paramount, I would be literally going, we've got the world's greatest emerging director. One of them, yeah. Yeah, you know? Well, but, you know, if you're the studio exec, it's the greatest, isn't it? Oh, you know? obviously, yeah, yeah. That's what you're trying we've, to... We've got, you know, an all-female cast featuring most highly regarded actresses in the world at Mobile Portman. Yeah. And yeah. you're a rising star and in Tessa then, Thompson. And we got everyone's sort yeah. of like tip for the top in Thompson, you know? And yeah. fucking Oscar Isaac. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's like Oscar Isaac is. And how awesome was he in Ex Machina? Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. So Fantastic. It's, 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 it's not him, is it? It's, it's, it's him, obviously, it's him. But but that is, that's acting, isn't it? That, that, yeah. that, that, that's tremendous. That it yeah. is, that you couldn't get. I mean, you don't watch that thinking, that's Poe Dammer in there. No, no he, he is. He no, is, he is Oscar Isaac. Yeah, he's yeah, he's brilliant. everything I've seen Oscar Isaac in. A drive when he turns yeah. up as the as the ex. Uh, sorry, as the as the, um, the, 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 the gnarly boyfriend, type boyfriend thing, who's, who's come out of prison, yeah. who's, who's involved in crime. For a, a fairly diminutive-looking guy, how much menace and presence is that guy? Got? Oh, he looks like he would cut you. Oh, he, he'd yeah. cut he would you without thinking. Fuck you yeah. and, and he, you know, he wouldn't just cut you. He'd slice your femoral artery or something. Oh yeah, he looks like a guy out. that can. You know, when when he's playing a a, a nasty or or a capable antagonist role he's great yeah I don't I mean you know you say ex Machina. he's like, he's almost like sort of Steve Jobs on steroids isn't he yeah. and you know uh, we're thinking that he's going to be the, the the antagonist but he's not yeah but the way he plays it you're thinking well, he's a dislikable man isn't he, he is he's not yeah. a nice guy but he's, he, but he's an interesting character yeah, yeah. very interesting yeah. and so you, you've got him as well 
I, I just to think... me, all the elements were there now, just to say, you know, hey, you guys want to make another superhero film, you guys want to make, you know, another Fast and Furious, look at what we're doing. Yeah. You know, and Paramount, I think, really did themselves, yeah. they let themselves down with this. I think however we feel about this film, the fact that we are comparing a little bit unfavourably to Ex Machina, and I would imagine on second viewing, I think we're probably going to find a lot more that we like about the film. Yeah, I've no doubt, I've no doubt it's a film that I'm probably going to watch at least three times in the next 12 months. I, I think that ultimately this move the Paramount has made, the fact that they're denying a theatrical release to an all-female-led, very well-written, very well-made and well-acted science fiction film, an intelligent science fiction film that you don't get that often or you don't get often enough, I think it's a bit of a bum move. But flip side to this, what if the second viewing, I don't enjoy it. Well, I can watch it for the second time on this. But I Let's look at Arrival. You know, it, I was... Lucky enough not to watch Arrival in one set in the cinema. Yeah. You know? I don't know whether... Perhaps it's a good thing this on Netflix that I can go back and watch it two or three times now. Yeah, well, if, if I had paid, uh, you know... If we'd, all, if we'd all go on to watch Annihilation last Thursday... Yeah, as opposed to watching it for nothing on Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think our feelings towards the second viewing would be a lot different than they are right now. Possibly. Possibly. <sighs> If I said if we go to the cinema last Thursday and and I said to you, look, let's go back on Tuesday and watch it again. Yeah, no, maybe, no that's right. Know. Yeah, whereas much like you earlier on today, I thought, shall I watch the film again? And unfortunately, I didn't have time. I wish I had, but I, I think now the conversation we're having. I think when we're talking about a film we've only seen once, you know, I expected this conversation at one point just to be very much, yeah, it was a little bit meh from the little snippets of stuff I've had from you guys, and I wasn't going to disagree with you to any great degree. I'm, I, I'm certainly not as positive about the film as Hayden was. You know, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with Hayden. Hayden's got a, a fantastic way of writing about a film. And even if you disagree with his how he feels about the film and the positive things he's highlighted, he's, he, he's got a way of putting it across that I can't argue with what he's saying there because he's, he's doing exactly what I think you should do as a writer. And I'm sorry to you know blow smoke up the ass of someone who writes for our website, but it's a great article. The excerpt I've just read is as good as yeah. you know a piece of writing about a film I think you will find anyway. But he said in four lines what we were trying to say yeah, in 25 exactly. minutes. Yeah. So yeah. credit to Hayden, brilliant piece. You know, I can't argue with him and I don't feel passionately either way about this film to say, no, it's a it's a load of pretentious shit. I don't feel like it is. No. I think it's a little bit ambiguous in places which could piss a lot of people off. Overall, I think it just loses it loses its footing towards the end. Yeah. It lets itself down a little bit. It didn't stick the landing like I think a great film, a great science fiction film. Well, let's talk about that ending as well. Bringing the humanoid type character in at the end, and then yeah. the sort of dance they do at the end. Were you sort of slightly let down at the end that you were kind of seeing what the thing was? I, I didn't like the representation of the creature, the fact that it just it reminded me of that all. That, that sort of the, the creature that Scarlett Johansson was underneath the artificial skin she's wearing in Under the Skin. Yeah. But the fact that in Under the Skin, when I saw it, I was just just like, wow, that is. I'm I'm seeing what she is, mm. but at the same time, I don't know what she actually is. What she's made of. She just looks completely alien, even though it looks like her. It floored me. That was where. Whereas, whereas this thing just looks like a, a, a CGI. Blob. It, I looked, it looks like a bad version of the aliens from Signs. Jim Cottle <laughs> referred to it as I like the bit at the end when Natalie Portman dances with the guy in the gimp suit. Yeah. <laughs> 
No, that's right. Yeah, it, it just I don't think it, about it. There was there was there was the moment where she was pinned up against the door, and I thought this is going to go a step beyond now. This is this is we're we're, we're possibly going to see funky. some yeah. There, there, there's possibly going to be some copulation, some some alien um, some intercourse going on at the moment, and I thought some, I'm some tentacles. Yeah, I wasn't sure I was ready it's for it. It's going to segue into a bit of uh, manga tentacle porn. <laughs> yeah, uh, it didn't. But but that was that that was where the film that lot it lost me then. That that my interest went. When that happened, it went. And then when we get to the ending. However, I will say the soundtrack and the sort of piercing noise to that, fantastic. that is fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> yeah, if I can rewind what I just yeah, I was gonna apart say, from that, because yeah. that was yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. That was, that was disturbing. almost disturbing, wasn't yeah, it? That sort it was. of tone that was it was striking. So for, I was going to say for the final scene then, where, where you know the questions are being asked now. Well, is it Natalie Portman? Is it not? Well, it might I think be that's a, going to be to your own interpretation. That I think that's what. But but we, but at no point do we 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 see Natalie Portman throughout. There's no well, switch. You, you saw there the, is no you, switch. You saw the little explosion type things that arise. Right. She said to us earlier that that it's part of her. It's great. So yeah, having so spent the time there and clearly coming into contact with Oscar Isaac. Now, as was there a reflection of Oscar Isaac and in in Iris's rather than I think I it think it can be played both ways, but I, I think the, the DNA is in here and yeah. it's it's slowly taking over here, uh, and it, possibly with her now being with with him who is all see. I, t- I, I, t- it I took it the other way like the, the Gimsu guy was the clone and he was going to kill her and become well, it was going to become kill her. Well, I think that was the intention, wasn't it? was the it? intention. But then with the little flame things in the eyes, like you say, I was then thinking, well, is there some sort of like seeping bacteria or like, you know, a pore? Either way, I think at the end, they're both, he clearly is alien. Well, he actually admits, she, he actually admits doesn't he? Yeah, yeah he's not. He, he's I'm not, not. No, I'm yeah. not. Yeah. It's one of those endings that's ambiguous and you can leave open to your own interpretation. I just think, I just, 20% of the film, I think, yeah. It was a little bit of a step down for me. It's my only real problem with the film. Other than that, I, for a film that we watched on Netflix, yeah. pretty much for nothing because I don't count as, as having paid for that because you know it's, you, you got it anyway. You paid for exactly. It, you? Yeah. yeah, you know I've already got Netflix. I've, I've not gone put my hand in my pocket to pay yeah. for that film. Yeah, I think it's definitely value for money. It's not a film I watch and immediately forgot about. It's not a film I watch and dwelled on to any great degree. It's just been sort of in between there. No, I go the other way. After first watching it. I sort of thought, oh Christ, I've got to review this. Yeah. I, I thought I've just literally got nothing to say about this film yeah. other than nitpicking. Yeah. And I always like to sort of, you know, have more positive than negative. Yeah. I was straight away sort of dubious, thinking, how am I gonna? Oh, it looks great. You know, that's why I was. Oh, it looks great. Mm. That's bollocks. You, yeah. You look I great. Agree. Go buy a magazine. The days it wasn't immediate. It was the days after. Mm. And I was trying. I did read Hayden's review because, like I said, I love reading Hayden's stuff. Anyway. But I was trying to sort of stay away from any sort of sort of debate about it and trying to sort of get it straight in my head whether I liked the film or not. Yeah. And then I thought, Christ, I've just spent the last three days thinking about this film. Yeah. And I, I, think, it, I think it is like that. Do, I think it's a grower. I think to well, go I back saw, to the film and compare it to, it's got under your skin. Yeah. yeah. I only saw it Saturday, so I'm, I'm two days. My initial feelings were I was glad I'd watched it. I did not enjoy it. The last quarter, not the last quarter of the film, the last 20 minutes of the film or what have you. It didn't live up to what I was expecting throughout, so I was I was slightly disappointed. And of course, you know, if it, if it had a big, if it had a good ending, you, you remember what, you, what the last sort of few sequences don't, yeah. you? and that's what you come out with. Your general feeling of the film is what you've seen at the end, and then you you sort of think back over it. I think a good film can, like a great film, can be spoiled by a yeah. poor ending or yeah. an ending that Which just doesn't 
Yeah. You know, you're saying it more eloquently than what yeah, I'm trying to say. If it's but... rushed or if it's, you know, it's like on the nose or, you know, it can ruin a can. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's almost a danger with this film because I say it is a slow burner. It's not, you know, if you look a lot of the time when they're going through it, there's a lot of downtime in this film. Yeah. You know? And I there's don't, a lot of I don't little, think little, it's... Little, little hints and, oh, you know, what's the fungus thing about and... So but like, I don't feel like let's talk about the fucking beer though. How fucking cool is that the, beer? Oh, yeah, there that. we are. The, the beer. <laughs> yeah, Sorry, the, whatever it is. It was How boring bar get... the beer thing. <laughs> yeah. Which when, when you're seeing it in, in the shadows and you're seeing brief glimpses of it, it it's not particularly it, it you can't tell what it is. But no. when you see it up close, the fact that it's got a skeletal face, it mimics human what? voices of people it's just killed. I thought it was a stag's face. I thought it was like a long sort of stag's face. It's like a long it's still, nose. It's yeah. not a flesh. That's like, for me. Like, yeah, it was like a stag's head yeah. wasn't it, with, mixed with a bear. Yeah. It's this like, mishmash of biology. The fact that the thing it does with this voice is just well, wrong. It was, it was capturing her cries, wasn't it? It was yeah. her screams. Yeah. It was like yeah. her last breaths. And, it was... and, and, and that, that alone, that, that sequence where, where obviously they're starting to go, they're starting to sort of lose their mind, aren't they? And, and the, the one, I forget the name, but the one character has the rest of them tied up. Yeah. And you know that um, that sequence, uh, uh, Anya Thornton, uh, Rodriguez. Yeah, that sequence is is probably the, the 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 best sequence of the film, arguably. I think because it was with everything we'd had teased throughout, with that bear, with the voice. Yeah. It was just that, and then with the violence that came afterwards. Then when when obviously when when she died and the um, the bear swiped the jaw off and and what have you and and you thought that was an Andy Bob's character that was on the floor then and he went yeah. the bear went through yeah, knocked her yeah. over and sort yeah. of hit it across the floor yeah yeah, yeah. It, it was that sequence was was tremendous Absolutely. I thought it was really really good it was it was it, it, brutal it was brutal and it really tense it's yeah. eerie the the, the well, so a minute a minute or so it was just walking around I mean you're tied to a chair and you you know without it being an alien hybrid bear yeah. you're tied to a chair and a bear walks in the room yeah. you, you're shitting yourself yeah. but the fact that this is like some sort of hybrid that is like screaming with a woman's voice yeah, yeah. I'll tell you something I just noticed when you just said Rodriguez another selling point for this film if I was trying to do PR well, I, no, I, Gina, sorry, Gina Rodriguez is the name of the of the actress. Yeah. Her character is Anya Thornton, but I know what you're going to say. Yeah, it's like, you know, you know an all-female cast, and a white person, a black person, and a Latino. Yeah. <laughs> and again, I never noticed that. No, so I did, yeah. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not so rammed down if, your throat. If, if, if we're taking political... Social, representation. Social, representation, as it should be. I didn't know. It, I know it's it sounds. Not, I know it sounds sign posted. Like, let's just be honest. I know it sounds like we're all just trying to be like right on liberal type thinking. Guys. No, we're not. <laughs> no. I didn't actually notice that. I no, only said Rodriguez, yeah. and I thought, yeah. my God, yeah. they've got everything. They, they, they ticked every box without ticking a box. Exactly. This is how films should be made. My thoughts after the film, I'm not interested in watching it again. I'm glad I've watched it, but I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't be bothered if I didn't watch it again. However, the beauty of having a conversation like this is exactly. yeah. now I think, do you know what? I We've spoken about the again. positives, and I think, do you know what? I would, I, 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 I'll watch yeah, that again. I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't rush to watch it, but I, it'll be on my list of films to rewatch yeah. because I know it's going to be one of those films. Like, a film I've recently rewatched, which you guys know about because I was just spouting about it the other night. In 2007, my wife took me to see Atonement, a film made by the guy that directed Pride and Prejudice. So I was expecting not the film that I got. News of Doom, Merchant yeah. yeah. What I actually got was a film that completely floored me. And at the time, I went in with such a preconceived idea as to what that film was going to be. That when I came away from it, I was a little bit sort of so taken aback. I knew I appreciated the film, but because it was sort of dragging me from left to right with my expectations I don't think I particularly enjoyed it that much at the time because I was taking in all of this conflicting sort yeah. of it, this film is completely going against my expectations much like my first ever view in a fight club 
Yeah. Completely took me by surprise. I had not read Chuck Palahniuk's book at that time. I was expecting a film about one thing that turned out to be a film about another. Yeah. Fight Club, I thought, was going to be... Do you remember there was a film called uh, Gladiator, another Russell Crowe? The, the one about the... The one with... Street Steven, fighting. Stephen Dorff and Cuba, Cuba Gooding Jr. Yeah. And it was like some sort of underground boxing circuit. Yeah, and that's what I was expecting. Exactly yeah. That's yeah, absolutely. And when you look back, there was Brad Pitt named Norton. What part of me was thinking this is going to be a straight-to-DVD exactly. action <laughs> film? Yeah, so, again... But, you know, again, equally fucking amazing film. And then on my second view in the Fight Club, it was like, eyes open... Yeah, one of the greatest films ever made. Got to say it with atonement on second viewing. I I don't know what I had. You know, I always like to rate the film on IMDb after I'd seen it. I can't remember if I gave it like a seven or an eight. For me, now that film is a nine point five. I've watched wow. that film, and it is just apart from being a, a really gut punching, devastating, well messed up film from the point of view it is not a happy ending. It's also one of the best representations of World War II I've seen in a modern film from a different standpoint, not from the front lines, but from just behind the front lines. Yeah. Do you know the I, weird I, thing I, is I had exactly the same experience with my now ex-wife watching it and I'd forgotten about that film until the site did the shot of the day the other day and I right. thought I've got to see that film again. Well, I, I didn't go and see it. With either of our wives. <laughs> no, no, not even my own wife. Um, didn't go and see it because I was expecting something along the lines of the what, what was the Pearl Harbor Pearl something Harbor, like yeah. that you know yeah, yeah. and I just thought and, and you know James McAvoy he's up and coming all the rest of it and we are, we're going to chuck him into and I just thought to myself it's going to be exactly what we described and I've never paid any attention to it since I haven't seen it I haven't wanted to watch it but from the conversation we've been having this week I can't wait to watch the film right. yeah. that film for me on second viewing is it, that, that is why I am so I, I, second viewing for me is always my it's always where I will say right this is how I feel about the film mm. And now I, I consider Atonement one of the best films from the last just over a decade or so. Wow. <clears throat> and with Annihilation, I'm pretty confident that whatever score I'm about to give it may jump up a little bit on that second viewing. Like Neil says, it may go down a little bit because I may not find anything that great about it on second viewing. But either way, I want to watch it again. So, guys, final scores on Annihilation. It's a six for me, which is a quite a low... It's, it's, it's... I'm going to go with my initial gut reaction, which was a six. That's what I, when yeah. I finished watching it, it was a six. But I am, and that was, as I said, I'm, I'm not interested in watching it again. However, having had the conversations and, and possibly the bear scene alone might knock that up to a seven. Yeah, and I was going to say, you know, with hindsight, I've probably got a couple more days than you. Yeah. Where I've sort of digested it a bit more. And I think at two days' time, I'd have probably gone a five or six. I'm going to stick with six, actually, for now. I think it could quite easily be an eight on a second viewing, or it quite easily mm. could be a five on a second viewing. But I'd be happy with a six as well. I'd agree with you on that. Yeah. yeah. Overall, averaging out how much I was enjoying the film as I was watching it, and how I felt coming away from it afterwards, I'm going to go with a seven out of ten. I think it was a very well made film. The only real problem I had with it was the fact that it just didn't stick the landing with the ending. The whole thing in the lighthouse, I, I just thought it was a little bit too vague, a little bit too ambiguous, and I didn't like the way that that thing was represented and I think the film let itself down. Everything else before that, all the alien biology had been so well done. To let it down at the last hurdle, that's where you want to be pulling out your A-game. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's going to be a 7 out of 10. So In comparison to his last film? It, it's not well. I would have given Ex Machina a, you know, an easy easy 8, a yeah, 9 easy probably. Eight. Yeah. For, for a film that came from nowhere that was relatively low budget, Ex Machina is, is, is probably a it's one of the best cycles from the recent think, years. Do you think, I'll, I'll give that a nine. I was going to say, I'd go with nine as well. Do you think that perhaps the ex- weight of expectation plus the much sort of higher concept has played a factor here? 
Yeah, I think so. Because when you look at X Men, it's, it's quite sort of a claustrophobic, simple film. Three main characters. I mean, it's probably five, six yeah, characters. Three, three characters there's three yeah. main characters in it. As, as warm a film as Annihilation is, and it's beautiful, yeah. like with the crystal trees on the beach, we, yeah. we could talk all day about how great this film looks. It's still very cold and very clinical. Yeah, it is. And the way everything's done, and I it think is. that is going to be your style. But, 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 the, you know, which I would say it works in certain types of environments. Yeah. There were certain parts, as beautiful as this film looked, it almost looked like a portrait that was done on a computer rather than with a paintbrush. Yes, I would agree. Be, would yeah. be my beautiful way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, you say about the crystal trees on the beach and, and things like that, I didn't think they looked... They, it looked like, almost like that alien planet that Jodie Foster finds herself on at the end of Contact, which yeah. we don't actually think is a real planet. We think that's just the aliens putting in her mind something that she can sort of relate yeah. to. We don't yeah, actually yeah. think it's real. Yeah. I don't. I think the film is telling us that it's not real. That's how I felt about what we were seeing here. So oh. I, I think, and again, that was towards the tail end of the film. I think the visuals let themselves down a bit. Yeah. I will say as well, that's the one thing that most people are saying at the moment is this film deserves to be seen on the big screen. Whether that would have had an impact. See, I, I would disagree with that because I think particularly with the CGI at the end, at that point, I, I, I thought, I'm watching a Netflix film. Yeah. No, I was going to say... I'm watching a film with a lower budget, with a lower effects budget. All the things we've seen up until now, the budget's been spent. And unfortunately, perhaps they needed to trim back a little bit on the, on the, on the forests and the beautiful landscape and what have you. And they needed to save it for the end because yeah. that, that let it down. So guys, the films you've reviewed so far on the podcast, looking at, look at the films like Three Billboards where we were yeah. telling people to go and see it. And then with Black Panther, which we were more or less positive about and yeah. saying yeah it's a good film you know if you're a fan of the mcu go see it it's different obviously with that with annihilation apart from people in the states who can go and see it in uh, the theater people outside of the states have got the option of watching on netflix the people who subscribe to netflix would you tell them to watch annihilation yeah definitely you've got nothing to lose really so yeah. you've already got the subscription watch it i think with this film if you've got netflix you've got a subscription you've paid your 10 bucks or whatever watch mm. it yeah why not if you enjoy it great if you don't if you want, to, if you like myself, and you want to watch it two or three times to see if you really love it, yeah, you've got the option there, haven't you? So maybe it is a win-win, you know. Maybe, yeah. the, maybe the film is going to do yeah. better on Netflix, and but let's just hope that this isn't the way forward. I think ultimately we can, we, we talked about you know the mistakes that maybe Paramount have made from Paramount's point of view in respect of making this film. I actually think that it works as a Netflix film. I, I think that yeah. I think overall I watched it, and and you know. It is. It's just one of those films that I think that, that, you know, you should give it a watch. You should give it a go. You're nothing to me now. You're not a brother. You're not a friend. I don't want to know you or what you do. I don't want to see you at the hotels. I don't want you near my house. When you see our mother, I want to know a day in advance so I won't be there. Okay, and now is the part of the podcast where we do or talk about our favourite things. And this week we picked our three favourite actors. That's actors, male. And before anyone jumps on the bandwagon and attacks us for being sexist, if we picked male and female to do now, we'd only be picking three each and it would preclude or, or prevent the opportunity to speak about actors female later on as, yep. a, as another topic. Yep. So we're going with actors male. Who wants to go first, guys? Yeah, I'll go first. Okay, so the first person um, is Denzel Washington. Yeah. Yeah, solid choice. When you're looking at that, do you think, if there's a Denzel Washington film coming on the telly tonight, mm. I'll, I'll watch it. If I flick over and it's, a, and it's a Denzel Washington film, I'll probably watch the end of it. I probably will. But he has been, I've seen him accused previously of playing Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. He could be playing angry Denzel Washington, he could be playing mean Denzel Washington. 
But there's something... Th- this man has charisma in bucket loads. The first one that I saw him in was Philadelphia. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic film, for those who haven't seen it. We'll, we'll talk about it another time in, in any great depth. But that was the first film I saw Denzel Washington in. And, and you know, he started out in, uh, I think it was St. Elsewhere, the, uh, the American um, hospital drama. From, from um, Philadelphia, we had Malcolm X. We had Training Day. I mean, I've been, I mean... I'm ashamed to say I've only seen Training Day once, but what, you know, how good a film is Training Day? You know, this guy, what? There's a lot of controversy about whether or not he should have had the, the Oscar he had for that, but um, it's it's a great film. Denzel, I, I agree with you. A lot of people do say, yeah, but he's just Denzel Washington. But then if you look at the individual roles and, and, and the quality of the acting, so have you seen Fences? No, I haven't done Oh. I think with Denzel Washington, you've got... I can see why people sort of pigeonhole him into it's Denzel. It's a Denzel Washington film, and he he is perhaps slightly guilty of angry street Denzel Washington v noble, well spoken Denzel Washington. You know, but like you say, he does bring a hell of a lot to each role, and he's one of the few actors that can get away with doing a film like Ricochet. Which you know, I can <laughs> got it on my own bad. Yeah, and then that scene, and then yeah. do so like Philadelphia in in quite a close sort of proximity to each other. There, for, for Denzel Washington fans out there who have not heard of the nineteen ninety one action classic Ricochet, directed by Russell Mulcahy, who did uh, Highlander. Just watch it. Yeah, it, yeah, it's written by Stephen E. D'Souza, who wrote Die Hard and Commando. It's actually set within the same universe as the Die Hard yeah. and Commando films. Um, I always go back to Philadelphia. I love that film. It's a fantastic film. It was a turning point for Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington. He was outstanding. If you watch it, mm. it's, it's, it's great. It's really, really good. So for Denzel Washington, the very fact that Denzel Washington is in the, the Magnificent Seven remake at the moment is probably the only reason why I would watch the Magnificent Seven remake, yeah. having not watched it. Because he's playing bad. he's playing the Uber in a part. It's all right. I, yeah, and, and that's what I expect. It's all right. You know, man of the moment, Chris Pratt as well. But generally, I think... Denzel Washington, he's the person I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing his take on uh, on your brain's character. I think if you want just a, a great example of how good an actor he is, just watch Fences from 2016. It, it's pretty much like watching um, a, a tight sort of stage play because it's all about the performances. Yeah. He, he's just amazing. Fantastic film. Incredible performance. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. He's, yeah. he's just a fantastic actor. He is. He's tr- he is tr- tremendous is my word of the, of the podcast. Yeah. Um, my number three, I did did a bit. They don't have to be in any particular. No, order. They're, they're not going to be in any particular order. No. I say, I'm not saying they're the best act, actors. They're probably just my favourite actors, and they're people who are consistently giving me good films. I was going to go Christian Bale. Mm-hmm. He slightly annoyed me by just being a bit of a knob, really, haven't he? He can be off yeah. screen, yeah. So I'm going to go for someone who I think is probably a really cool guy, but again, consistently gives me a good film every, virtually every time. It's Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. One of his first films, California, spelt with a K. Yeah. When he plays, um, was it Earl Healy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've seen California. Uh, David Duchovny's in it. David Duchovny's in it as well. Yeah. It's a fantastic film. And then obviously we move on then to the sort of the five clubs and the sevens. He's dropped off the, the, the way a little bit now. But I say if you look through his early sort of stuff, where you've got Twelve Monkeys, Seven, Fight Club, California. I'm going to go as well. Interview with a vampire. Got to say it. I, I don't know how to gauge Interview with the Vampire with current popular opinion, but I've always really liked that film. I really liked it. I like the gothic atmosphere. Yeah. I thought Tom Cruise was fantastic in it. And I'm going to do what I do in every podcast and say it's another one of those films where I go, I don't like Tom Cruise. And but, then I watch Interview with the Vampire and I yeah, go, Tom yeah, Cruise is really fucking good in this. Great. I like Tom exactly. Cruise. Yeah. 
I, I, I do try to like, say that yeah. every podcast. That's, no, fair enough. I, I, I love Interview with the Vampire. I really do like the film. And I think both Pitt and Cruz are great in the film. And if you look at... And so, Kirsten Dunst, outstanding. Yeah, if yeah. you look at diversity there, and you look at Louis in Interview with the Vampire, and then you look at One Punch Mickey in Snatch, yeah. how is this the same person? And again, Tyler Durden, one of the most iconic film characters yeah. of, of, of recent memory. You can even take a run of them on... a a middle of the road film that shouldn't be anywhere near as good as it is like World Wars Z Zero. or Z Zero. and I don't know if it's him that turns into a good film but he is usually the anchor of a good film I can't ever remember seeing Brad Pitt being anything and th just think god he was awful True Romance is Floyd <laughs> the stoner yeah <laughs> fucking great so you can look at a guy who could comfortably make a career especially the early part of his career hmm. out of just being a stunningly good looking man yeah, the films he did like Legends of the Fall and yeah, you know, yeah. he could have just bankrolled himself on that he could have been a matinee idol mm. he always seems to look for something different he always seems to look for something challenging yeah and, he does and like recently now I don't know if you guys have watched on Comedy Central when he showed up on a Jim Jeffries show which is like a sort of almost like a sort of Stephen Colbert sort of daily show type mm -hmm. thing and he's appearing on there as a, a 1970s weatherman on there no. And it was always by all comes. It was always a cameo appearance. He loves doing it so much. He's turning up like virtually every week on there doing like this appearance. But like I say, he has fallen off a little bit now. I would say with Fury and with Inglorious Bastards, and there was the film he did for Netflix as well, which I can't remember. He seems to play the same character. If he plays a military general or yeah. colonel. He seems to talk like this and talk out of his mouth and be very stiff and very rigid. And I don't like that persona. But on the whole, you especially when you're looking back the sort of mid nineties. This guy was literally just 10 out of 10 punching his weight every time. He's far better than you think that he is. When you yeah, start looking yeah. at him, the way you were describing how he went from, you know, it would have been easy for him to go down that route. Like Leonardo DiCaprio kind of thing, that sort of, yeah. you know. And I think DiCaprio was actually based a lot of his career choices on Brad Pitt's sort of role model. I, yeah, you know? I think they've got similar career yeah. trajectory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DiCaprio was a young, pretty boy. If you look at like Brad Pitt starting off with like California and Thelma and Louise... Oh, yeah. You know, when he's playing these sort of gritty, dirty parts, and then he goes to the Legends of the Fall. And I'd say the same thing with DiCaprio, really, who's not on my list, but really could be. Oh, yeah. If you yeah. look, everyone's sort of looking at him from Titanic onwards. Mm -hmm. And you've got to think of films before that, like This Boy's Life with De Niro and Washington Gilbert Grape. He was yeah. taking challenging, diverse roles on before that. It was only really Titanic that made him, mm. you know. So Romeo and Juliet then. Titanic, yeah, and then Romeo it? and Juliet. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then he went, you know, now you see him doing like Tarantino. Well, funny enough, both of them are done for the new Tarantino film, aren't yeah. they? Brad Pitt what and in Addis. Brad Pitt yeah, and yeah. DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. We've made that connection until we started talking about it. Yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt could have easily been on my list. And like I said, this is not a definitive list. This is three picks I've yeah. made that I'm pretty happy with at the moment. But there's so many. Well, I was going to say with Pitt as well, the influence with Pitt as well is he seems to be a genuine film lover. And I mean, the amount of films he's produced oh, yeah, was yeah. funded. Massively. I mean, Departed wouldn't have existed without... He bought the rights to Departed. The original concept of Departed was Brad Pitt and Ed Norton. It was going to be a, a sort of follow-up to Fight, Fight Club. Club. Yeah, we, we discussed this before. I'd have loved we? to have seen that. I would have loved to have seen that. But not to take away from The Departed, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio, yeah. Six Degrees of, course, of Separation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never even thought of this. Yeah. But again, you know, he's, put his money, he's put his money where his mouth is as well, and he's funded a lot of projects as well. Okay, my first pick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out my big gun first. The one that I would say for me, uh, for the longest time, has been my favourite actor. And if you had to ask me who was the best actor in my lifetime, and certainly Pound for Pound has, has, has been in most of my top 50 films, it's Robert De Niro. 
yeah, it'll come as no surprise to you guys, I'm, I'm sure. But before you do, you start talking about in, in in any depth, I went through his filmography, taking off the films that if if I had to, there, there were a lot of films I overlooked. He's he's made an incredible amount of films. He's you know he's one of the most prolific actors of our time, and as much as he's gone off the ball in the last fifteen years or so, I, I I've got to forgive the guy. Because out of the 113 films he's made as an actor, let me just read 113 films. Let's just go through, and and it's starting chronologically, but it's not even starting with his first film. First off, Mean Streets as Johnny Boy. Yeah, he's magnificent. That what a, what an incredible film to sort of put your hand up and say, "Hey, look at me over here." That was 1973. A year later, he's starring in the sequel to The Godfather, for which he got a Best Supporting yeah. Actor yeah. Oscar, quite rightly so absolutely phenomenal yeah phenomenal one of the greatest films of all time he is one of the best parts of that perfect film 1976 Taxi Driver as, as perfect a film you won't find Travis Bickle iconic character unbelievable role 1978 The Deer Hunter surely that's going to be the peak of his career 1980 Raging Bull which for me I, I, I think I've said before is it's probably the, the greatest film, acting yeah. performance yeah. Uh, I've ever seen. I'd put it um, alongside the likes of Heath Ledger in, in The Dark Knight and without mentioning other actors I'm going to come on to now. Put a gun to my head, what's the greatest acting performance you've ever seen? I've got to say Raging Bull. And then 1983, a complete flip round with a king of comedy. Yeah, Rupert Pupkin. Rupert Pupkin. <laughs> Unbelievable. What, what, what an incredible black comedy. This just, just borderline serious. and It was the obvious choice. Yeah, just to get it off. The th- he's my number one choice because he's the obvious choice for the yes, reason. Yes, he is, and you knew I'd pick him. Two of my favorite. No, I could have. I could have bankrolled the fact that I could have been quite confident at least one of you two would have yeah. picked it. To me, not to pick the Nero is the greatest actor, probably of all time. Yeah. If you look at how can you have a character as cool as Neil McCauley oh. and Rupert Pupkin existing in exactly. the same world? So how can that be just, just to skip over a couple more. Once upon a time in America, it, the, he turns up then in Terry Gilliam's Brazil in a completely off the wall little performance how menacing is he as Al Capone in The Untouchables and he's mm. barely in the film that's that scene with a baseball bat yeah that it's often parodied now and it you know I think it, the, the, but it is just bone chillingly brutal he's just, yeah. yeah and it's the build up to it yeah. and he is just such a you know he, and it, again if you look at that it would have been easy to play the stereotypical Capone and yeah. he doesn't he's actually he's actually Capone's always played as sort of a snarling sort of yeah but it's almost, like, it's almost like a sort of like Tom Hardy recently did with the Cray Twins, it's almost like, oh yeah, but he had a good heart, he looked after his mum. The Untouchables, he's just a nasty bastard. Yeah, and that's, that's what, Let's yeah. be honest, I, I don't know Al Capone, I don't know anyone who knows Al Capone, but I would imagine that's probably closer to the truth. Yeah, yeah. well, there was a reason why he was the yeah. number one on the FBI's wanted <laughs> yeah. list. And then you've got Midnight Run, 1988. Which is his first attempt at real, sort of... Out, after, after the King of outright. Comedy. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, if you mm. look at King of Comedy, I think he, it's... He was it took, a straight I think man it took, I think it took years before people realised that yeah. was a comedy. He was the straight man to, to, to Charles Jane. Grodin's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then The Awakenings with Robin Williams. Yeah. What a phenomenal acting performance here. One of the, just a film oh. that just tears me apart every time I watch it. And then you think, surely it has to sort of simmer off now. And then you have 1990 Goodfellas. Yeah. One of the greatest films ever made. And then you've got Martin Scorsese again. Cape Fear. Yeah. Oh, Cape yeah, Fear. Yeah. Is Max Cady trying, most, trying to outdo Robert Mitchum? One of the most brutal things I've ever seen is that well, it starts off as a rough sex and then it turns into rape. Yeah. When he bites the girl's cheek. Yeah. Horrendous. And before we get on to the films, I know you, you, you're dying for me to get to from 1995, you've got 
A Bronx Tale, a Charles film which really underrated film. Yeah, which a film which De Niro directed, directed, yeah. and he flips it. He's 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 the he's the nice. He's yeah. not the the the, the hard nosed gangster. He's the the, the hard working bus yeah. driver. Yeah, I you know I keep meaning to rewatch that film because I really want to do a review on it because I think it's the missing gem in the De Niro. It is. It is. I rewatched it about box. two or three years ago and it still holds up. Nineteen ninety five. Before I get to the one you're waiting for, Casino. Casino, the, yeah, the sort of yeah. spiritual follow-up to Goodfellas, for yeah. me, is a film that I like as much as Goodfellas. I'm not gonna say that De Niro shines as much in it because I he, he he's, play, he's a different character. He plays a different character. I think for me, it's a better performance. I, I love that Sam Rothstein, the, the, the character in that film, and I don't hold him with any lower regard than I do as um, Jimmy. Oh, oh why have I forgotten his name from Goodfellas? Anyway, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I hold them both on an equal footing. 1995, the other fantastic... Well, you missed out Angel Heart as well. With him and yes, oh, as Louis Cipher. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a man with that length of nails peel an egg yeah. and make it look scary. But he manages to. <laughs> and then, you know, you've got 1995 Heat. And then oh, at that point, you're thinking, right, if his career hasn't already peaked with the likes of Taxi Driver, well, The Godfather Part Two, and Raging Bull, you still then churn out films like Heat. And then... Copland, a film he's which Copland. I'm sure we're going to do an episode on at some point. We'll definitely do an episode. I think he's in Copland for over t- I think it's just over 12 minutes. Yeah, completely. Steals I'm not, not going to say steals the film, completely compliments the film. Compliments the film. I'd go the other way with that. He could have stolen the he film. He could have, yes. He, he, yes, does, he, he actually, doesn't. You're right. He actually balances that he out does. perfectly against. Obviously, contractually obliged to have mentioned how good Stallone is in that film. I do that in every podcast. <laughs> the other characters as well, the other yeah. actors as well. He doesn't come in and. Ryan trying to do that film, yes, yeah, an understated performance, but an over the top classic De Niro. Yeah. yeah, he's De Niro, but he's not no. to the scenery. I'm De Niro, I'm here for the paycheck, yeah. or I'm De Niro to prove I'm a better actor than all yeah. of you. He's just pushing a solid fucking performance. He does. And then he turns up finally in a, Tar- in a Tarantino film, in Jackie Brown. You expect him, oh, he's, he's yeah. going to play the type. Completely, Completely different type. Completely as Lewis, the, the, the stoner, you know? <laughs> The list after that does taper off, and I've only got three other films. I put in simply because it's so against type, Stardust. Stardust, I, yeah, I don't I'm mind. Not, I'm not with Stardust. I don't mind his performance in Stardust. You'll, you'll be surprised by his performance, but it, again, you you will watch and you'll think, I can see why he's done that. It. Do you know, the thing is with De Niro, is, um, you just did it, and I, I, I've done it as well, with the sort of Meet the Fockers. Do you know when Meet the Fockers first came out? I actually thought that's all right. That's fine. Meet the parents. Uh, meet the parents. So meet the parents. It was on. T- meet the parents was meet on. The TV parents. The other when, night. I, when I first saw that, I was like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, so, yeah. He's he's having a bit of fun. He's getting a paycheck. You know, yeah. he's probably. He, I think he's enjoying working with Ben Stiller. He's enjoying what he's doing. He was sending himself up. He's wasn't sending he? himself he, up, and yeah. I was fine. It was just the two spin-offs and all the shit yeah. that came after that, yeah. off the back things like Showtime and yeah. Yeah, so, uh, just, we're not going to dwell on this his career did tail off yeah. um, and sort of no dice well, I was but gonna, I was, what I was doing was I was going to say it does tail off and then you've got that little sort of two minute cameo in American Hustle yeah which is the last film on my list there when he's almost like it's fucking great it's, it's all, yeah. and I work on I'm Stephen Moffy now because I Silver watched, Lions Silver Playbook Silver Lions Playbook that's the next one I was going to do so look we've said enough about it it for me, he, he is the greatest actor of my lifetime. But if you look, look at my yeah. list there, actually, in between Jackie yeah. Brown and Stardust, for some reason I Ronin. skipped Ronin, but yeah. it was on and there as well. Off forgotten film, but yeah. yeah, again, a classic De Niro performance. And John Frankenheimer yeah. of French oh. Connection 2, who we love. I think I've got all the same as you. I'd say I definitely wanted to mention the... Uh, oh, so you picked 
Then yeah, everyone's he's, 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 oh, he's my number one. Oh, is he yeah. number one? Yeah. Shit, I'm so sorry. That's all right. No, 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 I've got it. I, I wish I'd flipped my list no, that's now. That's fine. That's fine. As if by pure chance, by pure coincidence, if anyone is involved from from up there, my next choice Robert De Niro. was going to be Robert <laughs> De Niro. But knowing that it would come up, that he would come up. Mm-hmm. Al Pacino. Please. Al Pacino. Yes. <laughs> yes. Hoo-ha! No. <laughs> now, the reason what I left off, no. because I thought I, I could just go to the uh, Al Pacino. Right, my, my Al Pacino story is this. I, the first, I watched the, my first Al Pacino films was the Godfather trilogy. What a place to start. Three, three was already out. Three were, so I watched them back to back. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't someone who saw the first two and then no. was disappointed by the, the belated film. Well, we're not old enough, I don't think, no. that we do have seen them when they came out. I think 1989 was Godfather 3. So no, 1990. 1990. Yeah. So, so I watched um, Al Pacino grow up on screen then I saw him first two and then the, so I then had to revisit his films by by pure chance in media studies in school we watched Scarface well I wish I got it your school yeah it, it, it was, I it was for, Dark Towers for, <laughs> for, for A-level media studies we watched, we watched Scarface what, what what can be said about Scarface hasn't already been said yeah. so you, so I was then going through my list thinking let's look, let's look at his films granted he's another actor that, that has tailed off in the latter oh, yeah, half yeah, yeah. of his career yes. um, but I mean you know you look at obviously as I said Scarface Serpico um, any oh, given, Serpico incredible performance yeah. amazing he's, film he's, he's, Sidney Lumet I enjoyed Any Given Sunday no, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. It would have been. It would have been. In speech. If I was here for the yeah, the sports done. film um, podcast, that would have been on my list. Yeah. Any given Sunday. Yeah. I, 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 I agree. It was. Yeah, as you say, exactly that. It was that. The the the, the passion and you know it, it was. It was. It was almost in my top three. Well, the reason I didn't go for it is I don't know enough about NFL to yeah. know if it's realistic. But that bit of the speech. Yeah. Jesus That's Christ. That's a bit from a film I remember. Yeah. Just stayed with He's, me. And 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 then um, obviously heat, you know, we've covered it for heat. Yeah. Uh, and insomnia. Um, oh, fantastic! You know that that my one of my honourable mentions was the co was the co star of Insomnia for Robin Williams. Yeah. And um, Robin Williams, who was so good in Insomnia against with Al Pacino, and Robin Williams, who was so great one in One Hour Photo Awakenings. Oh yeah, yeah. Awakenings yeah. with Rob De Niro. Yeah. And obviously One Hour Photo. Yeah. I think it was um, Insomnia. It was often overlooked in his Nolan's sort of like almost forgotten I, film. I don't, I don't agree. I think. Uh, it was a no, great I, film. I think it basically. I think you had that, and One Hour Photo came out in quite a sort of short yeah, space of time. I and I think that's a major reason why a lot of people don't realise how good his performance and, and, is yeah. in Insomnia. And it, and it was about Robin Williams, wasn't it? Yeah. It was Robin Williams playing completely against type, and, and yeah. it sort of overshadowed. Al Pacino was slightly overshadowed in respect to that. So, you know, solid, solid, good films. Yeah. Al Pacino has become someone who's parodied a lot. Is almost become arguably a parody of himself to an extent. When, when, when he slips into shout the owl mode. Yeah. Yeah, and I was going to say that the next big Netflix film, The Irishman, yeah. we got De Niro and yeah. Pacino back. If you look at uh, De Niro and Pacino, like you say, you say Pacino, and instantly you can go. Wah! <laughs> you know, you say De Niro. I can't for the benefit of the listeners. I shrug my, you know, yeah. do a face. Stroke my shoulders and you know, do the De Niro thing. Both of them almost parodied themselves now to the point where they've become a bit of a joke, but they're yeah. still great fucking actors. Yeah, yeah. When they yeah, when they pick the right yeah, you know, pick yeah. the right script. But and, then, you know. but then if they retired today, they're both like seventy year old men. Yeah, 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 yeah. They should have really retired you know, if, by now. It, but if they retired today, it, it'd be a shame we wouldn't see them again in anything amazing. But yeah. what a back catalogue! I will, yeah, I will forgive De Niro for the likes of Rocky and Bullwinkle simply because from that list I read there, I cannot think of an actor that's yeah. got such a strong list of films behind him. Well, you've missed. It's probably on your list, but you've just haven't said it. Carly does we. Oh yeah, oh, of course. Yeah, Carly does What a fucking amazing film! It, it it's cuts, my cuts me like a knife. It's still my, my my favorite Brian De Palma film. Yeah, and one of my favorite Al Pacino films. It's it's uh, it's 
it's fantastic. Yeah, it's brutal. It's absolutely it, brutal. Yeah, if I'm asked, name a film that always makes you cry. My first answer is Star Trek: Through the Wrath of Khan. My well, second yeah. one is always Carly Does Way. I think if you don't cry over those films, you're dead inside. You're dead inside. You're dead inside. <laughs> you're dead inside. What are we on now? You've had two. I've had two because Sorry. Of that's, yeah. that's fine. Rich, you've had I've your had two. two. And I was yeah. going to say, you, you guys could have literally just done my list there. You right. could have done my two yeah. top two there, but I didn't pick Pacino because I knew I couldn't go for the the, the role. I knew at least one yeah. of them was going to yeah. be mentioned by someone else. So I went first with the actor who I think is my you know overall my favourite actor. Now I've gone for the actor who I will gravitate towards in any film I see him in. He is, for me, if you were to ask me who I think the most under, underrated actor, or one of the most underrated actors ever, Roy Scheider. Oh, yeah. Why I've got such an affinity for Roy Scheider may have something to do with the fact that if you were to cut me open, and if I was like a stick of rock, I would have the words Jaws written inside me. <laughs> it is literally part of my film-loving DNA. I love that film more than anything. And as much as Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfuss always get the kudos for their performances in Jaws, the performance for me has always been Roy Scheider. He, he's the audience. He yeah, is the everyman. Yes. He and is us. And he's always the street man to the two colourful characters as well, yeah. isn't he? He is the, he, the, the true hero of the piece because he goes out there against this terrifying creature and he is the one who is afraid of the sea. Yeah. The, the scene at the dinner table with his son. Yeah. I, I, I don't even, you know, again, it's, the hair's on but, the back but, of my neck. But, that, but that scene, when it's replayed in Jaws the Revenge, is the only thing that's worth, worth watching in Jaws the yeah. Revenge. Yeah. Roy Scheider in Jaws is, for me, the best part, or one of the best parts of a, of a perfect film. And then it was that that got me to explore other films of his. The first place I went after that was The French Connection. Yeah, as much as Gene Hackman, who is going to be one of my honourable mentions, one of the greatest living actors, one of the greatest actors of all time, Roy Scheider is still there in the background, and he plays the perfect foil to the more domineering yeah. character yeah. of... Did he get, I think he got an Oscar nomination for supporting actor for that, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. And I was going to say, if you look at Lawrence Schneider's career, it is almost supporting actor, but that does him a dis. You, it does him a disservice. If you look at the Joe side yeah. of day, he's a supporting actor, really, although he's the main character. But, the, but the, there's he films he's it so well. Yeah, there's films he's made which he which just don't get the amount of credit now that they do because as much as they are enduring classics, they're not major classics of the likes of The Godfather. Yeah. You got the French Connection, nineteen seventy one, as I said. He followed that up then in nineteen seventy three with The Seven Ups, which is kind of a sequel to the French Connection because he plays the same character from the French Connection. Oh, right. Yeah. Literally no, never no, knew this. You've, yeah, you've got to look up the Seven Ups. It's one of those films that we're going to talk about later in a later okay. podcast. Jaws then in 1975. And then this is this literally just films I picked out the standout. Marathon Man. The first time I ever saw Marathon Man and Roy Scheider turns up as, I think it's um, Dustin Hoffman's brother, as, as, as a, he's like a spy or, or a secret agent or whatever. And then early on in the film, gets killed spoilers sorry I remember thinking I thought he was going to be literally one of the main players in the film the sort of, but he leaves enough of the mark on it you, know, you think oh it's Roy Scheider he's, he's, he's going to be the support yeah. act, act again yeah Rich I know you're going to have a lot to say about this one 1977 Sorcerer the remake oh. of The Wages of Fear the William Friedkin film from oh. 1977 that's only recently had a bit of a rebirth and, and has been rediscovered it's the film that got buried by Star Wars because it came out a few weeks after the release of Star Wars unfortunately William Friedkin is one of my all time favourite directors Sorcerer is a film that I urge people to seek out it is absolutely incredible and Roy Scheider just plays a completely de- determined driven just driven exactly dri- right. but also at the same time so broken and lost man it's an incredible <laughs> film nothing to do with mythology just look it up the title is a little bit misleading it's then 1978 a year later 
a film which doesn't get the credit I think it deserves because it's going up against the greatest film ever, Jaws 2. I was hoping you'd mention that because I was going to say if you look at Jaws 2, it would have been easy to see Schneider come back and just cash grab. Yeah. And it would have been easy to write the character as well yeah. as a sort of the new hero. Yeah. And he plays, in effect, he plays a more damaged version of Brody and a more terrified version yeah. of Brody because he knows now. Yeah. To begin with, it's almost a shock what a great white can do. Now he's saying, fuck it, I've seen it up yeah. close. Yeah. And, and they, still don't, they still don't believe me properly. No. Yeah. Still, you don't want to play because, because why, why would that happen twice? And as much as there's a little bit of a leap of logic of the fact that there's another shark coming back, it doesn't take away from the fact that his performance in Jaws 2 is absolutely incredible. Yeah, and I was, yeah, like I say... It's an amazing performance. I'm, I'm sorry, I it just... It's a great... And the film does get a slate in, but he is fantastic in it. Jaws 2 is the rare exception to a film where you get a standout film, like I've... I've often bored people and you guys especially with this I say standout films we have a great film where it should just really be one film like Die Hard should be one film Jaws should just be one film yeah. Yeah. Jaws 2 every time I see it I go yeah it, it, it works it shouldn't work mm. but it works you know Yeah. and I love the easter egg in there with the, the yellow barrel in his garden yeah. as a plant pot as a little yes. souvenir and then yeah. when he comes over the one night he's pissed off he just walks past and kicks it mm. and it's like yeah. I only noticed that a couple of years ago when I was doing yeah. it I sort of got the Easter egg about the battle, but it's the way he kicks the battle as well as he walks past it. It's like a fucking shark again. And as much as there's, there's a lot of other Roy Scheider performances which are worthy of mention, I'm going to finish off with his 1979 film, for which he was he was nominated for best actor in a leading role. Unfortunately, he lost. But I, I really think he was robbed. Was Bob Fosse's All That Jazz? If you ever want to see a portrayal of a man that is completely driven and obsessed with work, but at the same time, on a downward spiral of fucking any woman he comes across, just dosing himself up on drugs. The, the, the amount of drugs he takes in the film is, is just staggering. And this was actually an amazing parallel to Bob Fosse's actual life. Roy Scheider plays a character, Joe Gideon, who is um, a, a, a Broadway choreographer. Joe Gideon is basically Bob Fosse. Bob Fosse is directing Roy Scheider playing himself in a film. And I think that's pretty much how we see You've just got to see you've never seen such a manic on edge performance and completely unlike the character of Brody but there's a reason he was nominated for that film amazing performance like I said I think he's one of the most underrated actors and everything I've seen him in I've just thought he's just fantastic yeah underrated so, and I, I, to be fair I can't believe you get come to the end of talking about him and you haven't mentioned Sequest DSV oh yeah, yeah. It's almost sad that he ended up having to do that. Because now, I was going to say, a few of my honourable mentions are definitely going to be actors who sort of went off the bill and then came mm. back in like Netflix or yeah, HBO yeah. TV series and really sort of shined. And, he, and he didn't, and he never got the chance to. It was, it was before that time, wasn't it? And yeah. it's, it's almost sad that he had to do it. It was like as if they went, oh, we're going to do a, we're going to do, do a show it's going to be set in a seat get a Jaws guy yeah. he hasn't done anything for a while, you yeah. know. I don't know why all producers talk like that, but they do. <laughs> Chewing on cigars. Talking about TV actors. Oh, God. <laughs> no, no, no. Second uh, second choice for favourite actor, not necessarily the best actor for me, is someone who's made his name out of TV who's gone the other way. Mm-hmm. And that's Brian Cranston. Mm, okay. Now, I will say, Walter White is an iconic character. We're going to have to mention Breaking Bad. His performance in that is absolutely out of this world. Blew me away. I was mm. enthralled for five seasons with that. A lot of people say the season five shouldn't have happened. For me, it was the perfect ending to it. After the sort of big fireworks explosion in season four, the the, yeah. the fall of him being shown over a season was fantastic. He's gone. He did. He did movies before that. I mean, he was famous for being in Malcolm in the Middle. He played a fantastic character in Malcolm in the Middle. He's probably my role model for what what a dad should be. Mm-hmm. What I will say about his film career thus far, 
and I've done a, again. I've done a few reviews of Cranston films. I've done Wakefield. I've done Tre- I've done Trembo. I've done you Last Flag Flight. And I've always been critical of the films he's in, but I have never once been critical of his performance in these films. Yeah. It almost pains me at the moment that this guy could be a De Niro or Pacino type legend. Yeah, actor, and he's for whatever reasons not getting the part. Or just, are not he's just out, not yeah. falling his way at the moment. Like you see, the last Godzilla, he comes in, and he's like, "Oh whoa, it's Brian Cranston," and then gets killed off. Yeah, quite a sort of ballsy decision. I get the feeling with Cranston that Cranston just does what he what interests him rather than what's good for his career, and I thoroughly respect that. I just wish that every now and then he would jump on board with a really good script with a really good actor. And just do himself worthy of what he is worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the moment, he seems to be better as little sort of when he shows up in Drive as Shannon, the mechanic. Yes. You, you almost yeah. forget he's in I there. Every, he's every in time it. he's every time I watch Drive, I go, "Oh yeah, wow, Brian Cranston's this." I just think he's got so much potential. Like I say, TV wise, he's already shown he can do it. Film wise, it just doesn't seem to be happening for him. But I don't think that's any fault of his own. There's a few films, like I say, Trumbo we enjoyed, Drive I enjoyed his performance in that the sort of headline roles he just doesn't seem to get it right and I don't know why there's a film he did called The Infiltrator which is almost going to make my mention which is based on a true story about someone uh, basically like an FBI agent do you know what Brian Cranston should be in he should be in something like American Hustle yeah. he should be in that type of film and he's just not getting it for whatever reason but like I say as much as I can criticise his films I can criticise his performance he's literally one of those actors that every second he's on the screen my eyes are fixed on him yeah he's yeah yeah, I, I agree. He's he's a fantastic actor. And I just don't. You know, he, he he's come into his acting career very late on yeah. in his life. Well, he's been a constant, hasn't he? He's one of these guys. You know, if you look at his filmography, he's on like Diagnosis Murder and things like Murder yeah, She Wrote and stuff yeah, like that. Breaking Bad was the thing. Yeah, Breaking Bad. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Malcolm in the Middle made him a name, and I think he sort of went under Breaking Bad then. Playing against type. Playing yeah. against type. And I think it was almost a case of they wanted a recognisable face, but they couldn't afford, yeah. you know, uh, a Tony Soprano. <laughs> you know? who, is, who is starring in the films that he should be starring in? Where, when you've got older actors then, you've yeah. generally got established actors that they know that... Because the, what films are they're about that are that are making the money in the cinemas that, yeah. that would cast a person who, who has been a bit player up until now is... It's, you You're going to look at a Netflix film or something like what, that, aren't that's, you? That's what I'm saying. I, and I, I was going to say, when you look at the, the Irishman, if you put him in there with De Niro and Pacino, I could see him holding his, holding own, his yeah. own. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I don't know what, I, like I say, I wish I could, I wish, if Brian's listening, I wish I could give you the <laughs> advice you need. I wish I could pick the role. I wish I could say he should be, I just know that given the right chance, Cranston could just absolutely massacre you know, mm-hmm. Oscar, you know, sweep the ball with the Oscars, BAFTAs, whatever. He just seems to be getting the wrong type of roles. I, it, it almost annoys me. I say the last flag flying. Carell, I think, is Steve Carell is a really underrated actor. He's putting some really good performances. Lawrence Fishburne and Brian Cranston. I went to that film really expecting something great. Didn't get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But again, I couldn't fault the performances. Okay, so what what will be my number one? I think. I'm not someone who goes for films based on the actor. Very rarely do I do that. But there's one person who I think that you're almost guaranteed a very, very good performance from him. Uh, and he's transitioned from the early days. He's, you've, you've seen a transition in the type of characters that he plays. And he's, he's sort of grown up on screen. And he's in a time now when you think, when we're going to look back in 50 odd years time at, at, at icons of this era, this era, it's going to be very hard to argue that Tom Hanks isn't going to be somebody yeah. who 
at that, at that time. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he's he's there are a few sort of arguable living legends, and 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 I dread the day that he's there's any headline involving Tom yeah. Hanks because I think that I that's yeah. he's he's the Jimmy Stewart of our time. Yeah, he's I he, he's. I mean, you look at him from from the the classic eighties sort of comedies, sort of foolish run. You know, the, the Burbs. <laughs> you know, how can yeah. we? How can you talk about Tom Hanks? I mentioned the Burbs. You yeah. know, but even even going back to things like to what kid hasn't watched Big? You know, oh. uh, Splash. All these things that you, you sort of grow up with Tom Hanks. And then, as I say, going back to um, Denzel Washington, Philadelphia. That was for the wholesome Tom Hanks, for the person who was the the most bankable wholesome actor to then go and play. Um, uh, a gay man who was suffering with HIV in 1993 it was arguably that was going to be career suicide for him it was it sounds crazy to say now but back then that was a borderline controversial film absolutely because and it it, you know younger generations younger generations are going to find out hard to grasp like and thinking back it doesn't seem that long ago and it shouldn't have been but it was and films about AIDS just did no, they were, it's probably responsible for people's changing in thinking because at, at the same sort of time, I mean, we were just kids then. You had like scary adverts on TV, like well, so, certainly you know, the, where they were showing gravestones spelling AIDS and yeah, you know, horrendous. You know, AIDS is going to get you, or yeah. it's going to kill you. Yeah. It's going to be like the new plague, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think it was, a, it was an incredibly brave move. Yeah, absolutely, twenty five years think, later. I, but I think it definitely played a part in. Yeah. Social awareness and acceptance yeah. of it. And it was the physical performance as yeah. well. Yeah. He lost all that weight. He just looked like a, you know a gravely ill guy, and it's just an upsetting film. It's you see this guy heartbreaking yeah, wither away in front of you, yeah. and yeah, it, I was going to struggle more recently. Um, Compared to the Tom Hanks in the Money Pit, is this yeah, <laughs> all opposite roles? For me, that that was the turning point with Tom Hanks, and then of course. You know, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. One of my all-time favorite films, Saving Private Ryan, followed by another of my all-time favorite films, Apollo Thirteen. Yeah. You know, if there's one person who can play anybody in a biopic, it's Tom Hanks. Yeah. And you see, you got Greenwald, and oh. probably probably the underrated performance, Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah. I love that sort of like almost sort of nerdy driven FBI agent. Yeah. Everyone's and like, he's a bit know, of a joke it's, in the it's, office. It's cool it's to fantastic. hate it, but it doesn't wash with me, and. If it doesn't move you, then you're dead inside. Probably got no problem with Forrest Gump at all. No, absolutely not. Not at all. No, I, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention Forrest Gump. The fact is, there's, there's so I, many great films. So, so the thing with Forrest Gump is, and it's the one we were talking about earlier with the Pacino and De Niro thing, is that someone makes a joke out of it and it's incredibly funny. Like Robert yeah. Downey Jr.'s portrayal of, oh, I can't remember his name, but the Aussie guy. Yeah, in Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is basically yeah parody and mm-hmm. you know you you know you don't go full you don't go full mentalist you yeah, know, yeah yeah and it, and it's funny the first time and do you know what happens then 16 weaker comics or 16 or 20 weaker writers write something similar and all of a sudden it becomes a joke and i think that's what happened with forrest gumpery yeah it's got parody, 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 parody too parody. much yeah go back and watch that film i guarantee you, every time i watch that film it's a quality film yeah it is yeah. It, it won best act uh, best film in in 94 in oh, 95 obviously it's a film from like 94 I think a lot of people looking back now thinking, well, how the hell did Pulp Fiction and Shawshank Redemption not get it? And yeah, okay. And that's and again, that's another slight. People people begrudge it because it won, and but it Some, doesn't take someone, away from someone has to win, and it doesn't mean necessarily that that's a better film than Pulp Fiction. No. I'm not going to sit here and tell no. you that Forrest no. Gump's a better film than Pulp Fiction. No, I would accept your argument if you said it was. Yeah. It's a different film. It's a different film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Either way, his very perform- good, his performance yeah. is great. Yeah, I've not watched any of the Dan Brown films. No, not not in the slightest bit interest. But yeah. Apollo thirteen, outstanding film. film. It's one, it's one of my oh, favorite all all time favorite film. films. You know, and then 
So therefore, you should want to watch the Dan Brown films because it's Ron Howard yeah. and Tom Hanks again. No, not interested at all. He's, However, you know, there have been a few films of late which I thought he's not particularly um, could have been better. Films like The Terminal, Captain, I, yeah, Captain I, Phillips as well. I gotta be honest, as I won yeah, hundred percent sold on that film. He, he, if not for him, you he he kept you in that film. But I, I was gonna say the Brian Cranston effect there. I could knock his performance yeah. in that film. Yeah, yeah. but the, there's, 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 there's far more Mr. Bank Bridges, Bridges than if anybody, you know, I got three daughters. You know, I live in, I live in Disney. Saving Mr. Banks. Yeah, I really it, no, it's I really outstanding. It. For, for, he plays Walt Disney. Yeah. You know, it, it, that that's the that is the sequel to Mary Poppins. That, yeah. that's you know, yeah. if ever needed, you know, I know we've got a new Mary Poppins coming out. It's already been done. It's yeah. Saving Mr. Banks. It was tremendous. Tom Hanks. If anyone can sort of argue that, I think he's he, he's absolutely bang on. his Tom Hanks. Well, you picked Tom Hanks as your last who I've described as the Jimmy Stewart of our era. Well, for my final pick, I've gone for best actor, I've gone for most underrated actor, now I'm going to go for coolest and downright fucking iconic Humphrey Bogart. (laughs) How can it not be? (laughs) As Jim famously said in episode four of this podcast, if you haven't seen Casablanca, you're a knob. If you don't like like Humphrey Bogart as an actor and don't appreciate him, then you are a Fucking idiot. Just back. just go back and watch Casablanca. His portrayal as Rick Blaine, um, downtrodden, sort of, not down on his luck, because he is very much, uh, you know, from, from for where he is in life. He's probably a victim of circumstance. Like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's he's basically, he's lovelorn, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's lost the love of his life, and now he's just trying to pick his, his, his life back up and sort of make a living at, at this this bar in Casablanca, uh, just on the, you know, as Europe is on the brink of invasion by the Nazis. It's, it's just an incredible film that he, holds up it holds up he is phenomenal in it if, if you watch him throughout the film you see him at first he's confident he knows what he's doing he's a man in charge Ilsa Lund walks through that door and then the man's life just basically yeah. the rug gets pulled from under him he goes through the whole thing then of is he going to woo this woman back from Paul Heinrich's character who is on paper the true hero of the piece, the the, the French resistance uh, guy who yeah. is trying to get away from the Nazis. Mm. So Humphrey, Bo- Humphrey right. Bogart's character is actually trying to steal his woman back off this guy who is sort of like a saint of Europe yeah, yeah. trying to, you know, defeat the Nazis. Yeah. So Humphrey Bogart's character from that point is a bit of a villain of the piece, but at the end he does the, the right thing and he sends Ilsa off in one of the most famous, iconic scenes in cinema. And that's one film amongst many. The Treasure of Sierra Madre. And not that it is in any way light-hearted. 1948, directed by the legendary John Houston. He plays Dobbs, one of three guys who find a cache of gold in, in the mountains. The, the film is about how these guys who have got all of this gold, which you know they now need to divvy up between them, how they slowly just get corrupted by greed. And Humphrey Bogart's performance is just incredible. It, it, the way he goes from being one of the guys... Um, they're doing what they're doing, and you, you hope that they're going to strike gold. But by the end, he's just there with greedy, crazed, murderous intent. Incredible performance, and it's something that just Bogey managed to do in so many great films. I said about Roy Scheider's performance in All That Jazz. Henry Bogard's equivalent performance is Nicholas Ray's film, 1950, In a Lonely Place, where he plays a screenwriter who ends up getting accused or, or being suspect number one in the murder of, of, of a young woman. His performance on that, in that film is just absolutely electrifying. It, it, Bogey does that thing that he does best. I don't even know where to begin. He, he's just so multifaceted. He is, his performance is absolutely incredible. 
the thing that is just really gets me about Humphrey Bogart is the fact that he was taken from us at such a relatively young age. To me, he always came across as, a, as quite an old actor. Yeah, yeah, but guys, so, guys look like fifty odd. He does. He looked. He looked like a shoe when he was. When they were like you know, twenty eight. Yeah, because they used to have like steak for yeah. breakfast with like That's fifteen right. cigarettes and a beer, didn't they? He, he yeah. died in. He, I think he was born uh, eighteen ninety nine. He died. January 14th, 1957, age 57 years old. He was married to Lauren Bacall. You know, they, they yeah. had, uh, famously got together in 1945. They were only together for 12 years. And he was taken from us far too early. Late on in his career, he made incredible films like The African Queen with Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. What an unbelievable film. But I think that's actually the first Humphrey Bogart film I saw as, as a young kid. The next one I saw then was The Kane Mutiny, which if you want to see him kind of play not outright the bad guy, but a character who ultimately is is got very questionable motives. Watch that film; he's, he's fantastic. He's he's just iconic. And I know it's an easy word to bandy around, but I think there's there's, there's descriptions that, like you say they easily use like the words like iconic and legend. When you're talking about Bogard, you can use any yeah, other yeah, words. Yeah. And like you say, taking far too young. When you compare him at 57 to like Bruce Willis who's 63 today yeah, that's right you know he, he yeah. was t- yeah. you know and he looks I mean he looks an older man than Bruce Willis looks now yeah absolutely you know 10 12 years before he died but look at his list of films right, which I which ones I haven't already mentioned he when I think of film noir I think of Humphrey Bogart the Maltese Falcon to have and have not Dark Passage The Big Sleep Key Largo it, these are just films from that era that if you haven't seen them go back I, I'd say start with Casablanca because I'd say arguably it's his best film. Whether it's his best, best acting performance, I'd say yes, but they're probably ones which are as good. But it's as perfect a film as you're ever going to see. And let's be honest, they the, just they don't make them like him anymore. The, I was going to say this was before the age of the personal trainer. Yeah. This was before the age yeah. of the uh, the Mexican supplements that yeah. people take to get in yeah. shape. Now he is just a hard man. He yeah. looks a tough guy. He looks he a is. kind of guy. I would say usually when I'm talking about someone, I say, "Oh, he looks like the type of guy to chew your ear off or bite your face off." Or yeah. He looks like a guy that would just slug you. Yeah, <laughs> he'd slug you with his knuckles, <laughs> and, <laughs> and he'd knock you the fuck out. <laughs> Casablanca was his, was his in a way a breakthrough role because of that. He always he, before that he would play the sort of like the the, the it was almost the, like the, the mob head. Yeah, the, yeah. Sort of the gangster type thing, wasn't it? But yeah, Humphrey Bogart, he's he's just the epitome of cool and iconic. I can't think of anyone better to, to finish off my list with. Honorable mentions. I'm going to pick someone who easily could have been number one. Mm-hmm. And as we've done, De Niro, Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. And I'm going to go for Clint Eastwood. When you, the only and Don Siegel days when you yes. get your dirty Harrys. Yes, yes absolutely. Beguiled. Yeah. And I'm doing this off the top of my head now because I knew I should have never put De Niro on there because I knew De Niro was going to be there. You dirty Harrys. You beguiled. His underrated directorial uh, debut play Misty for me. Yes, yes, of course. He did all those films with Sandra Locke. Unbelievable. Escape from Alcatraz. The Gauntlet. The Gauntlet, which has got the coolest poster Best of all time. Best poster of all time. Isn't it Frank Frazetta? That's oh God. I'm sure it's, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Films yeah. like The Iger Sanction. Oh, yeah. 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 Firefox. No. Oh, no, no, I've got too far. I've got too it's, far. It's rubbish, but... But then... Every Which Way But Loose. Every Which Way But Loose. Every Which Way But Loose and Every Which Way You Can. Which was the first one. Every Which Way But Loose. Yeah, that was ridiculously successful. And, I, yeah, and recently, I can't remember why the podcast or review. I'm not slagging anyone off. You're not entitled to your own opinion. Someone the other day said about um, Million Dollar Baby, just playing on the heartstrings to get an award. Hmm. I'll take that a little bit on board. I love that film. Yeah. Mass- massive boxing fan, as you know, and the, the boxing films. If a boxing film is well done, it's well done. And I, yeah, yeah. It, the, his performance and Morgan Freeman's yeah. performance in that film is. Uh, but I'll I'll counter that with Gran Torino. 
Yeah, which, if there was ever a film where you bring an aging, tough guy actor into Gran Torino, just as yeah. and changing the character as well, the fact that they're not afraid to begin that film with him being a cantankerous old racist bastard. Much like Michael Caine did with Harry Brown. They both come up the same sort of yeah. time, didn't they? Yeah, they and did, Harry yeah. Brown as well, you know, balances out just as well. Mm. But Gran Torino actually blew me away. And I'm doing this off the top of my head, like I say, because I was literally sat there thinking, I can't just go, ah, oh, we've already had the Nero, I'll pick a number one. With Clint... And he's not really popular, you know, because of his political views yeah. in Hollywood now and stuff like that. You know, American Sniper did him a lot of good mm. and a lot of bad at the same yeah, time, yeah, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, you look at his directorial work as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd say, I just literally, I just thought I'm going to pick a number one. He would have been an obvious choice for me, but just sadly, I just went Clint. Yeah. Yeah. Honorable mentions, guys. I got two honorable mentions. Go on. Right. I've already touched upon it, Robin Williams. Simply because I grew up, I, I, as a kid, I was a fan of Happy Days and Mork and Mindy. Yeah. So, I, again, someone who I grew up with, you know, Good Morning Vietnam. When I first thought about Robin Williams, I thought, actually, he's made more shit films than what he's made good films. But then when you actually start looking at Robin Williams' yeah. films, th- that isn't necessarily the case, you know? I mean, I, I was I was a sort of an early teenager when, when um, Mrs. Doubtfire came out, and I, and I and, uh, you know, unapologetically really enjoyed it. You know, you look at, um, I'm just looking at my list now, Dead Poet Society, Awakenings, as we talked about before, Good Will Hunting. Oh, Good Will Hunting is incredible. It's, um, it's absolutely incredible. He didn't have to make a film after that. No. That, that was that was that was career defining. That was absolutely yeah. unbelievable. It was outstanding. You know, as a, a one hour photo and insomnia. Oh, just just saying one hour photo. I think is perhaps never going to be the popular choice, but it could be the greatest character performance I've ever seen. Like, it, it could, it could, because he doesn't play the typical. You want him. You expect him to be like a psychopath. Yeah. But what he is ultimately is just, just a, sad a very sad, lonely man. man. Yeah. And, and that, 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 that is the most devastating thing about that film. The fact that, that, bit, he, with, that bit with Gary Cole, where Gary Cole's sacking him. He sacked him and he's saying, And he almost loses it for a second. Yeah. You think, yeah. is he going to cry? Is he going to yeah, yeah. scream? Is he going to need his back yeah. again? Like, you oh, know, it's incredible. You, you could, you, he, too often he, you know, he gets called a crying clown and all the rest of it. He was saying, you know, but actually that, that man can act. And, and he can. He, oh. He's. I will never question a man's yeah. acting ability like, from the, 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 the films you mentioned there. Yeah, it, it, just, sounds, it sounds really corny, it sounds really cliche. The world lost big time. It, oh, it really but did. To, to think, I know there was, you know, people always go about him taking his own life. That, that man was suffering with things that yeah, I, think, yeah. I think he ended his own life rather than dwindle away. And yeah, to fa- the, right. the fact that if that man was in full health, we could still be having this conversation in 25 years' time yeah. and we could be mentioning, I would say, at least 10 other films we could use as classic yeah. examples. He's, he's, you know, as you said, great loss. My other honourable mention, if the purpose of an actor is to make you believe that they are somebody else, then this one person for one role does it and that's Christopher Reeve Superman. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's going to be me because of Superman and I'm a yeah. big Superman fan. You're a Superman t-shirt. Yeah, I am, yeah. Um, he is Superman. He's not, he's not, you know, Christopher Reeve is Superman. But he is more than, as we've said, he... Christopher Reeve occupies the role of Superman more than any other actor has dominated a character. There's a sequence which is which is arguably one of the best sequences in in, in the first Superman film, and it's wow. a scene whereby Chris, where Clark Kent goes round t- uh, to after the flight sequence, to he Lewis goes round to Lois's apartment, and the body language he says it all without really saying anything at yeah. all. He, he just the way that he stands, the way he carries himself. He's hunched over. He's Clark Kent. He takes she's. In another room, talking, getting ready, getting a jacket. He takes his glasses off, stands up, chest out. Seems and to grow about three foot. He does. He? Yeah. It's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. And he thinks about telling her. Yeah, and, and, and then he, he decides, and, the, and, he, and he shrinks back down. 
you know, that, as I say, if, if that, the role of an actor is to make you believe you're somebody else, Christopher Reeve and Superman, that doesn't matter that he didn't do a great deal else, really. That he was always... He did, but he was always regarded as Superman, and that I, character, I argue, held him back. I think that's why you, you, you've got him as an honourable mention as opposed to a pick. Yeah. Yeah, I think if he, if he hadn't done Superman, I, I could conceivably see him breaking through in other roles. Yeah. And perhaps never having the recognition, the global recognition, as a, a role like Superman yeah. is going to get you. But without a shadow of a doubt. And, again, it's like synchronicity tonight. College roommates with Robin Williams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Neil, go on. Give us your long list of honourable mentions. <laughs> I've got a massive list of honourable mentions. I'm not going to go through them all, but obviously you can draft obliged to mention that in good roles, Sylvester Stallone is always going to be there. yeah. And if anyone questions his acting ability, go watch Copland. Copland or Night Hawks. Or Rocky. Or Rocky. Rocky. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mickey Rock, I wish he'd done more. Yeah. Mickey Rock, uh, The Wrestler, Angel Heart. Yeah. You know, there they could have been a lot more for Mickey Rock. The one I'm going to go for is quite often overlooked. The minute I say it, we're going to go, yeah, Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Three of, the most, three of the most iconic... As, I said, as, a, as a child, he was my favourite actor. But yeah, never, yeah. Growing yeah, up, never, he was my favourite actor. But whenever we would mention this like this... I would guarantee that most people wouldn't go for Harrison Ford, but when you look at it, three of the most iconic characters of all time on yeah. his resume. Har- but then we've got films like Witness, we've got Frantic, yeah. uh, Mosquito Coast, which he goes completely off. He does, yeah. You know? Oh, he's a great actor. It'd be really controversial. Everyone hates him now, and I wish he didn't touch people. But Kevin Spacey. Yeah. I, th- I You know, what I would say I know, with Kevin it's... Spacey, Kevin Spacey is... 1990s when we didn't know he was a rapist, Kevin Spacey. Well, when you had say rapist, let's be careful. Whatever he's been well, alleged okay. When he, when he well, when he wasn't admittedly touching men, which he has done. Yes. Okay. That's right. Um, he was still a great actor, but yeah. When you're looking at films like Ali Confidential, oh yeah, I mean we're definitely looking like Seven, you know, yeah. and you know Usual Suspects. Yeah. And I always think out of that list, Ali Confidential is the one that gets overlooked. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fantastic as Jackman Sands. Oh, Amazing. He turns, he's such a cocky, arrogant bastard, and that sort of character act that changing him towards yeah. the end when he's like, do you know, I actually want to be a cop again. Yeah, you know, it's like I could live the, I could literally, I could dine out on this the rest of my life. I could be <laughs> Mister Hollywood, <laughs> or just this once. He actually remembers why he became a cop. Look, I, I'm going to echo the words of James Hancock from Wrong Real. He is able to to cut himself off emotionally from what actors are alleged to have done yeah. and haven't done and look at exactly, just yeah. the body of their work and you can't deny the fact that Kevin Spacey's a fantastic actor yeah. his career's done yeah yeah, he's, yeah he's, and he's, because of what he's done then really he's paid the price and yeah he, he shouldn't have done what he did uh, my list uh, first up Al Pacino he could have yeah. easily made my list I, I knew that one of you would pick it and I just felt a little bit more I had to give the others a bit more room on that list and a bit more of a shout Next up, one of my favourite directors is Akira Kurosawa and his, his leading man was Toshiro Mifune. One of the greatest actors of all time. I, he kind of got pushed off my list by Humphrey Bogart, but like I say, it's not definitive. Another actor, much like Roy Scheider, every time I see him, I'm just mesmerised. Or every time I hear him, James Earl Jones. <gasps> Next then, it's got to be, you know, you could do an entire episode on how great an actor Gene Hackman is. Yeah, That's yeah. probably an episode for another time. One that is more personal to me, as people will know because of my favourite film but an actor who every film I see him in I'm just he can turn him in a film like Star Trek Into Darkness a film that isn't great and he can just set it alight Peter Weller yeah oh we're and of those. The, the final one he nearly made this list and I feel kind of bad for keeping him off Kurt Russell Kurt Russell yeah you know right. but again we'll, I'm sure we're going to do a we'll do an episode a film 89 episode on 
on Kurt Russell. Yeah. Kurt Russell's a really strange one, isn't it? Because like you know, if someone is famous for a certain type of film, which for a while Kurt Russell was almost like you know John Carpenter's John Carpenter's yeah. boy, wasn't he? And then after that, he went into sort of like rom com and like schlocky action yeah. mm. and you think he's turned up in like two Tarantino films the he greatest part fucking, well yeah, definitely yeah, he, the greatest part was, of those films he was great in death and then you got Tombstone which, oh, is, just, which is one oh, of our two favourite films it's weird isn't it it's, if you look at Kurt yeah. Russell's career you, you know everyone likes Kurt Russell yeah. but you don't think of him as being a powerhouse actor he, and then no. you watch something like Tombstone he's a fucking powerhouse yeah, yeah. actor so there you go. That's our kind of favourite actors. It's nothing definitive about, but it makes for yeah, it's not, it's an not interesting best. discussion. It's, not best. it's what we enjoy. Yeah. yeah. So we've got we've got a few listener questions. That first up, we've got Adrian Greet uh, from Twitter. That's at Greet Adrian asks. Really like your posters of the day, but what are your favourite movie posters? This could have been an entire top three topic, but yeah. what really can you say about about a poster apart from yeah, I really like it. Um, I'll go first. Jaws. Uh, if, 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 I, if, I, if I had a man cave yeah. which I haven't but I would have a canvassed version of the Jaws poster it's just iconic Alien minimalist brilliance absolutely love it obviously I'd have to have a Robocop poster the font that image of him getting out of the car with the red light sort of oh. contrasting with it is just unbelievable it catches a blue sheen off the blue light yeah, yeah it's yeah. just it's yeah. phenomenal Another one, we've, we've done at the moment, I think, 220 plus posters of the day since the site's been going. One of the most popular ones, and one, which is one of my favourite posters, is The Right Stuff. Yeah, good, great, yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic the, poster, yeah. That, that one poster that we, that we put up that is just, it's, it's all hand-drawn and yeah. just harks back to a day when, before the days of Photoshop, it's an amazing poster. Captures the, the spirit of the film perfectly, beautiful. And... There are a few posters of this, but this was the num- the very first ever poster of the day we did, and it's big trouble in Little China. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Basically, you can include in that uh, anything by Drew Struzan, and then modern artists, Paul Shipper, who was basically taking over the mantle of Drew Struzan, and a good friend of uh, the podcast, you would have heard him on Wrong Reel, Tony Staller. Who is just an amazing mm. poster artist who you you are going to be seeing a lot more of. Just go on his Twitter page and literally just yeah, just go down his feed and, and I guarantee ninety nine percent of that will just blow you away. Yeah, and also listen to his episodes on Wrong Reel because he while that guy doesn't know about film, you can write on the back of a matchbook. Apologies for being predictable. Yeah, Jaws, as we've said, not predictable not at all. Predictable. Yeah. Back to the Future, absolutely <gasps> oh, love the fi- I love all three of the posters, yeah. first but the first one. It's yeah. Oh, amazing. Love them. Raiders. Raiders. Oh. Yeah. Drew, Drew Struzan. Again. Yeah. That um, E.T. <clears throat> yeah. The reason I'm being predictable is because I'm picking the 80s blockbusters. But they are they're, all they're, iconic. They're, they're they might be predictable, but they're, they're predictable because yeah, yeah. they're so fucking good. Yeah. Um, Jurassic Park. I, it's as simple as what it is. I the really logo. like the first the logo. Yeah. Amazing. You know, I wouldn't disagree with any of them. Yeah. For me, a poster can look great artistically or it can do exactly what it says on the tin. The choices you've got there, I would say, yeah, probably yeah. just sum up. Mm. This is what the film is. Yeah, talking about man caves. Obviously, we're recording here today live from Gaskin Towers. Yeah. So I'm able to have posters on the wall. There's one poster I've got on the, the staircase there that you can't quite see. My top choice would have to be Escape from New York. Oh, where you've got Kurt Russell and that fuck. classic sort of action yeah, running yeah, away yes. pose, and just the fallen Statue of Liberty behind him. Yes. I can remember as a kid seeing wow. that. I'd seen um, Planet of the Apes on yeah. TV on like a Saturday afternoon. Mm. I thought that Escape from New York 
I was about eight, so don't give me too hard a time. Yeah, yeah. I thought that Escape from New York was the sequel to Planet yeah. of the Apes because of right. Yeah, yeah. And it, a couple of years later, when I get to see Escape from New York, there's no monkeys in it, <laughs> but it still <laughs> blew me away. What a great film! Incredible poster. I'd also go uh, doing exactly what it says in the tin: Die Hard. Just yeah, that yes. side profile of John McClane yeah, yeah, against yeah. the building and the helicopter and it's blowing up. It's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. Wouldn't be a Film 89 podcast if I didn't mention Rocky. Yeah. Which again is no, amazing. Rocky 2, the fight poster. The mm. fight of the century. Yeah. Again, it comes mm. a close second there for me. But um, So yeah. there you go. Uh, next question is uh, Ashley Moore at Ash White Moore via Twitter asks Will you be doing any more episodes like the one you did on The Thing? Love the depth you went into about one of my favourite films. It's one of our favourite films too. Would you be open to suggestions as the films to cover in future episodes? Yeah, I'd love to. I, I've got to be honest. I think we've all sort of discussed one-off specials we want to do. Yeah. A lot of them are going to tie in with anniversaries of films. I think so, yeah. But I think if people want to make suggestions, they uh, go to the site on Twitter and make the suggestions. You know, I'm pretty confident that people who are following us and people yeah. who listen to this, the community's growing, isn't a, it? A, you know, a dig in the scene. We're going to have a dig in our scene, yeah. To, yeah. to put it like the kids would put it. Guys, please, any sort of interaction and, and, and suggestions as to topics and things like that, just fire them at us. We'll, we'll either dismiss them if we don't like the idea, or if we do, we'll pick them up, we'll do them, and we'll give you proper credit as and well. I was going to say, a, a few suggestions there as well might actually inspire us to think of doing specials on films we haven't considered yet yeah, yeah we absolutely. might go back and review them and think do you know yeah. what I never liked this when I was a kid or I never liked this 10 years right. ago but you know I can actually appreciate yeah. why, why this person has suggested it yeah and finally Brian Harkins via email asks kind of a strange one but you get to make your dream project film what existing song or record would you use as the opening track just anything by Queen <laughs> Twat. <laughs> ah. it's, no, I got, I got another one. You can do it. Go which on. which Queen track? <laughs> Any, anything by Queen. I'll let me do it. Anything by. This is it. That, that was my thing. <laughs> but but, it, but massive Queen fan. And then you think, well, there's 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 two massive films that that have used Queen, and it's so iconic with those films, the, with Flash Gordon and with Highlander. That how would you then? The, the sound is so unique that yeah. I think well well it's it's already been tailored to two very sort of different types of film so I don't know how I would use that um, I'm a big Elvis fan there's plenty of Elvis films I find this, I find this question really difficult to answer there's there's a song that I love by a band called Free Paul Rogers is the lead singer yeah. all right now everyone knows all right now there's a song called Wishing Well oh, feet, right? the only thing you, the only time you're satisfied is your feet they wish it's well. an outstanding Fantastic. hard rock yeah. 70s that's yours and, and it's and you can check it's a 70s song it's a hard rock Chuck it in. Some '80s kids listening to it on their Walkman. I'm sorry. Do you know the opening? The opening gambit to that is uh, was it throw down your guns, take yes. off your boots. Uh, it's actually like I know you do so well. It's, it's like it's, a gunslinger sort of like yeah. almost casting off. Similarly, I would go for cheesy '70s rock, and I go for Sparks. This time ain't big enough for the both of us. Mm-hmm. Which I think, given the right sort of, it'd have to be Tarantino. It couldn't be a Tarantino ripoff because <laughs> you know. But if given the right sort of film, that mm-hmm. song would work tremendously. Any number of Foo Fighters songs I couldn't name yeah. as well. <laughs> Funny enough, that's quite close to my choice. Where if you're going to go for a dirty, growling, grungy sort of epic opening to a film, one of my favourite bands is Queens of the Stone Age. My favourite Queens of the Stone Age track is Misfit Love off oh. their album Era Vulgaris. Go on Spotify or whatever your music platform of choice might be. Look for Queens of the Stone Age, Misfit Love. What an epic track. Just the best thing they've ever done. 
and if I ever made a film, I got a rough idea what it'd be like for that film. Would oh, I say that record would fit the tone of it perfectly? But I will say, listening to um, Foo Fighters, Concrete and Gold, their new album, there's yes. at least four songs yes. on there that I've literally thought of film synopsis off the lyrics. Of yeah. What a surprising album that is! Yeah, indeed. fantastic yeah. album. Okay, guys, that has been a far less alcohol-filled fifth episode of uh, the Film Eighty Nine podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Neil's had a few. Speak for yourselves. Me me and Richard have had one each. Hope you've enjoyed it, guys. Uh, Please like, like, subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes. You'll follow us on Twitter at Film89UK. We're also on Facebook. Uh, Richie, where can everyone find you? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at at Richard underscore Roberts. And Neil? Uh, Surprisingly, at Neil underscore Gaskin. You're both also on Facebook, yeah? I'm, I'm, I'm on Facebook, but you'll never find me. No. That's right. You'll find me on Twitter uh, at Sky Movies, and I'm also on Facebook under the same name. But Twitter's pretty much my thing. Please, our, our Facebook uh, following is growing, but Twitter is really. Well, oh, if you like the us. Facebook page, that'd be great. Oh yeah, yeah. don't follow. Please, me please do. Please do. Don't follow me on Facebook, you yeah. stalkers. But follow the the Film Eighty Nine page. Yeah, that'd be great. So guys, we'll be back uh, again. Sorry for the the gap in between episodes four and five. Unfortunately, the uh, the terrible British weather sort of put a put the kibosh on our plans. Um, We hope you enjoyed the episode and uh, we'll see you all soon. Stay classy.